Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Sutra is here. Man, finally, we got Tom King back. Um, I actually tried to record him about two weeks ago after that original uh, Batman DC Rebirth Zero issue came out. And something happened to the recording. It didn't work out. So, got him on the phone this week. Got him back. And uh, we're talking about uh, Batman number one. We'll talk a bit about that issue that he co-wrote as well with Scott Snyder. Of course, we talk about The Vision, which really is the best book I've read this year. And it continues to be. Issue 7 came out, and it just gets darker and crazier and more interesting with every issue. Uh, He's only got uh, five more to go. And uh, also, we talk about uh, The Sheriff of Babylon. That gets crazy and incredibly personal for Tom, given his experiences in the CIA over in Iraq, and uh, we talk about that. And we even talk about Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra, whether you want us to or not. (laughs) I can't help it, man. Uh, He's interested in those guys, too, so we go off on a couple tangents about that. Always interesting talking to Tom King, and happy to bring it to you today on Word Balloon. It's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, for your support. Got a couple more people uh, this week. Thank you very much for joining up. Um, Word Balloon is free. It's always going to be free. But uh, think about the content that I try to give you every week, every month. And, uh, you know, I think you get interviews that you just don't find anywhere else uh, in terms of podcasting. The kind of guests that I get, the kind of conversations that we have, um, it comes close when you see these guys in conventions. But you know that these are longer than convention panels. And I, I think we just go into interesting places. You learn more about the creative process that a lot of these creators have, uh, their interests. And a lot of times you might hear something and go, hey, I like that too. That's awesome. And the next time you see them at a convention, you can go, I, I, I heard you talking about Word Balloon on uh, about that same subject. I like it too. And uh, it just, I think, uh, really brings the community together. So if you like what I do and you consider that you're spending 3 and 4 and even $5 on a comic book these days, if you can spare that, the, the price of an issue, even if you can spare a dollar a month, that would really help out. It helps me get to conventions. It helps me continue to network and meet more of these guys and women and uh, bring them on the show. And uh, also uh, it helps me uh, get to conventions and do very cool panels that I bring to you on Word Balloon. So thank you for your support. It does mean a lot, and uh, I really appreciate it. So if you want to help the cause as well, go to wordballoon.com. There's a link right there. If you look at the right there is a uh, Patreon ad right there on the right. If you click on that, it should bring you to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash wordballoon. And if you can donate a dollar a month, $3 a month, whatever you can spare, that's terrific. If you can't afford it, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You'll still get Word Balloon, and it'll continue. I'd like to do this full time. And um, one of the ways that I could do that is maybe get advertisers, but also ask the Word Balloon audience to uh, contribute. Not a lot, but just whatever they can. And it might make it that much closer for us all to reach uh, my dream and hopefully an entertainment uh, point for you guys that uh, and women that Word Balloon will bring, come even more fast and furious and, and more episodes. And I, and I could really do this full time. It would be terrific. And I can do that with your help. So thank you once again, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Tremendous deals are happening right now at InStock Trades with a lot of trades that just came out this uh, month and this week. Things like the Abe Sapien uh, trade, paperback volume 7. Secret Fire is 45% off. It's just $10.99. You can get Hellcat, Patsy Walker. Kate Left doing an excellent job on this book. And uh, volume 1 is out now. 
and it's uh, 50% off. It's just $8.99. You can get Sandman Mystery Theater, one of my absolute favorites. Matt Wagner, Guy Davis, wonderful stuff. Uh, Go back to that first uh, 12 issues, which ironically cover the original Sandman Golden Age stories. And and that's fantastic. I mean, uh, really, Matt and Guy Davis and... um, uh, others that worked on the book really went to the original source material, and what were eight-page stories are fleshed out, much more characterization, and really, um, you can look at Sandman as as one of those founding members of the DC Universe, because he was, and, and Matt just gets these Golden Age characters, and I think gets the period, gives us that kind of characterization, he does that with Grendel, he does it with the Shadow, excellent stuff. Uh, this is 50% off and just $14.99. You can get Squadron Supreme from my buddy James Robinson, who is uh, bringing a very new take to the team. Leonard Kirk is his partner in uh, crime in this book, and I think that's a good way to uh, describe this group. 50% off, it's just $7.99. And uh, what else? We can get uh, Clean Room, Gail Simone, excellent book. Her fantastic Vertigo series with uh, John Davis Hunt. And Kelly, my friend Jenny Frizen, doing uh, great work on the cover art and stuff. The first volume is out. It's 50% off, $7.49. All that from InStockTrades.com. Take a look for yourself. You're going to find great deals. You won't believe it until you see it. InStockTrades.com. All right. Without further ado, let us get to our conversation with Tom King. It is great to have him back. It's uh, fun, and he likes to go into weird places just like I do. And uh, not only in our conversation, but certainly in his books, Vision, Sheriff of Babylon, and of course, starting this week, Batman number one. It's all covered in this conversation with Tom King on Word Balloon. Tom King, welcome back to Word Balloon. uh, We we recorded a a conversation. I just said this to poor Fred Venlenti. You're not alone. Uh, Two of you guys. uh, We had really great conversations, and they, they, they wound up in the ether. Something happened to my computer, so we're we're recording again. But there's more to talk about, so welcome back. Thank you so much. I met Fred for the first time near Comic Con like two years ago. It was so nice to me. His um, philosophy and president books are some of my favorite comics of all time. I love those books. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely, man. No, two good guys. There you go. And he he also screwed me over in the nicest way possible. How did he screw you over? Um, (laughs) When I was a struggling comic book writer, Tom Fowler, who's my first sort of partner, who taught me a lot about taught me a ton about comic books, um, and is, is, is a genius cartoonist. Uh, I was desperately trying to get him to work on something with me, and he kept getting on goddamn Fred Van Lenthe projects. <laughs> and he's like, oh, Fred, call me. He needs something else. And I'm like, damn you, Van Lenthe. I've never known you, but I curse your name. This is how supervillains get started. That's right. He was. He was. It was the equivalent of my hair getting burnt off. I was like, no. <laughs> hey, did you hear the nice things Brad Meltzer said about you? Uh, I, I, he was quoted on vision. We have him as a pull quote. So, okay. Well, he was, he was just on word balloon, literally, uh, recorded like a day or two after you and I did our talk. Uh, and he's like, I was just, he was just rattling off books that he loves. And of course, vision was like one of the first things that came to mind. That's, that's insane. And if people have listened to this before, know that Brad Meltzer, I followed his career to get from word balloon to get to my career. And that's just, that's blows my mind that he would do anything. I saw some picture on the Facebook. Uh, him and Jed Winnick when they were like 12 years old <laughs> hanging out and now they both have best-selling books on New York Times list. I was like, oh my God, that's insane. I know. 
it looks like they just stepped off the set of Saved by the Bell. It's fantastic. Yes, <laughs> it really is. I love. It. I know. I love that stuff. And believe me, I've got. I, I although no, I have to say, and maybe I'm just kidding myself. My, my own throwback Thursday kind of photos that have recently come. Uh, I, I I'm happy with <laughs> the way I look back in my twenties. I don't think there's anything embarrassing there. It's funny to see Brad with hair. I can't deny that. Hey, man, as 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 a man who's somewhat follically challenged myself, it is. It was surreal to see myself with hair and be like, oh, man, I used to have something. I used to be someone. No, nothing. No, no, you're, you, guys are, you guys are still something, absolutely. And, you know, it's all right. Bendis, Bendis too, it's another, that's another guy when I see pictures of him with hair. It's like, oh, that's what your hair looked like. Interesting. It's really an existential crisis to lose your hair. I lost my hair, I don't know how old, like in my mid When I had kids, the kids took my hair and they put it on their goddamn head. That's exactly what happened. 100%. I'm sorry. Man. Each child removed more. I remember hearing, I was like, when the third child's on the way, I was like, well, I guess that's the end of this whole phenomenon. Goodbye, old comb where I have another child. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's like, at first, it's like an existential crisis because when you look in the mirror every time, you're like, wait, that's not me. Who the, that, I have much more hair than this person who's, and then you're like, well, when I die and go to heaven, am I going to have a hair or not? I mean, most of my life I'll have no hair, so I'll probably in heaven I'll have no, but I want hair when I'm in heaven. It, it, it brought up a lot of philosophical issues for me, this whole no hair thing. Wow, man. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Let's, let's you know, as, as you know, we, we may as well talk about uh, hair and the vision and, and, and that to start things off. Right. We'll get to the Batman stuff in a second. But, dude, I'm telling you, this book, every issue. Wait, doesn't your audience more want to hear about my hair issues than the vision? Let's, let's focus. Well, I, I just kind of figured because there's a family with no hair. Pretty much. <laughs> That's right. They are. <laughs> I don't remember if Virginia and Viv have hair or not they i think do. they do they do they have green hair that's true they, yes of course they do and uh yeah but it's uh, victor and uh, and vision don't and then now we got uh is it victor is uh, his son uh no uh vin and viv are the children vin, and viv that's right viv, viv, uh, yeah and vivian vincent vivian vin has kind of like chia pet like long chia pet hair where you can kind of see the little holes that it comes out of is the way gabriel draws it i always think it's amazing it's it's like some like Osborne hair that never would exist in real life. You're like, wow, what is yeah. that? <laughs> Norman with the corn rolls. With the corn roll. With the with the crew cut corn roll. Very confusing. Uh, very texturized. Well, but uh, as far as the Vision family goes, now uh, Uncle uh, and 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 now forgive me because this is where my Marvel Uncle Victor. Uh, no, no, you don't know your obscure runaways. <laughs> No, I didn't. I really didn't know that. I mean, you did a great job explaining him in the story and everything. But yeah, Victor, who is destined to become an Avenger and a, and a terrible uh, villain. Yeah, that's that's all B BKV uh, from his Runaways run. Uh, I, we, we, I was sort of looking for a character. Uh, I was looking at Vision's family and all the different sort of people that I could play with, and I ran across him. And I was like, wait, there's our, he's his brother is someone who is also destined to go evil because the whole thing's about Vision slowly going evil. Yes, and then and I loved his origin story because it was just so insane. Like I was like, I have to retell this because like his mother finds Ultron's head in a scrap heap and just stops, starts talking to it. <laughs> like if you found a head in a scrap heap and it talked to it, you're like, yeah, this seems like things are going my way. I'm taking this head home and doing what it says. <laughs> well, that ties into that original Vision Reaper story, of course. Yeah, with it, like that. That's that great yeah. moment where where the Ozymandias uh, poem, yes. is is being read, and it's it's the kid that finds uh, Ultron's head, yeah. and it's kind of this alas, poor Yorick 
kind of pose as he's holding the head and looking at it and it's kind of studying it and then ends up throwing it away. That's some deep cut nerd, John. I'm impressed. I like it. Well, you see, that's well, like that's why, man, I know my I know my Bronze Age Marvel really well. And then like nineties and two thousands, it depends on what I read and what I haven't read and everything. So that's where I that's where the runner stumbles. I'm the same I'm the Bronze Age is amazing. I I, I go back to that those comics more than I go back to any other comics. I hear, you know, I forget who I was talking to, uh, and uh, they're like, you know, Bronze Age is kind of the hot, uh, the hot era right now again. We we're talking about Superman, and I forget who, I forget who recently, oh, I think it might have been uh, Bill Shelley, the uh, the comic historian I just had on to talk about Otto Binder, a great 50s and 60s uh, Superman writer. Yes, of course. Who created like half the mythos and everything. Yeah, yeah what, and of course, right? Captain, what's that? He created Supergirl? Created Supergirl, created uh, Legion. the Legion of Superheroes, created the Bottle City of Candor and Brainiac. And he was and, a sci-fi writer. He like I, I've yes. read some of his actual prose. I think back in the day, he's like, dude. His the the book about his life that uh, Bill Shelley wrote is absolutely incredible. I'm gonna pick it, it up. It is I'm so worth it. reading. I love it. it. Yeah, me too. You know, honestly, we we're talking about San Diego off the air, and I always make a point of going to the Tomorrow's booth and buy a bunch of back issues of things like Back Issue. Uh, but also alter ego and sure. uh, whatever books they have and stuff. And yeah, I always like, like, that's like my, my, uh, flight back having four hours on flight. I always get like a stack of like their product and end up reading half of it on the plane on the way back because it's just, it's the best. I get, it's the best. Dude, I'm, I'm so with you on that stuff, man. I, I get absorbed into it and just, I can't stop it. In fact, it was it, going back to my comic origins. I was reading Men of Tomorrow that convinced me that I wanted to be a writer again. That that uh, book by Gerard Jones. Gerard Jones. I've had Gerard on to talk about that uh, book. Absolutely. It's the best, in my opinion, it's the best history of comics that's been written. Certainly one of them. And, and you know, you really hear uh, the backstory of, like, national comics that became DC. And they were kind of like the Cinemax of their day. Yes. Because really what, the, what they were mostly uh, publishing back then were – like spicy detective and all these kind of semi lurid pulps, you know, before, before they got into the comic book business and everything, who knew? I mean, that's, that's, but that's what's made comics great to this day is it were like accidental trendsetters. Like we chase, we chase trends so hard that we get ahead of it almost. Like we're like, Oh, what's popular? Oh, vampires. I hear a new bunch of vampire books. And, and then accidentally we create a character like blade out of that, you know? And it's like, wow, that's revolutionary. And I think, yeah, it's like that. And that's been that way since 1920s. And we're like, oh, what do people like? Oh, pictures of nude girls? Put them on covers. And yeah. Yeah, we need something. We need to publish something else to keep the presses running. All right, let's uh, let's get into this comic book thing. This Good idea. Sure, Ma- Major Wheeler. But yeah. It, or whatever, Major Nicholson. Yeah, that's right. And, um, but uh, it was reading that book and reading about how, like, these. All these guys were just throwing spaghetti at the walls, and they were just, you know, they had to write to eat. Like, that was their thing. Like, I have to do a story today, and it has to be done by tonight and get it done. And, yeah, or draw, or draw to eat. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and, and I was like, I was like, I don't know, I don't know why, but that appealed to me on some level. It was like, oh, they're, they're not, like, looking to, for perfection. They're looking to put food on the table. I was like, okay, well, what if I just, I just write, you know, just forget about the perfection. Because I always, like, kind of go to per- writing, and I, you know, Write a first sentence, I'd be like, oh, that's not as good as some Tolstoy would write. And then I'd erase it. And I'd, I was like, what if I just write and just fuck all that other stuff and, and do it that way? Um, and that was, that's how I started. Just started, got on my computer and started writing. Inspired do by you still, when, it, when, you have a, when you have a comic script, does it, do you kind of 
go through a couple passes before you're really satisfied with it? My process, I'm, I have to write so much these days. I'm over, I've overbooked myself for the past like six months, which is nice. It's better to be overbooked than underbooked. I've been underbooked for most of my career. Um, so I'm, I have to write like basically a script a week for almost a year, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my, and generally the process is it takes about, takes me about three days to write a script. Um, so I'll write the first day I write five pages, uh, which is basically like, I just don't want to sit once, once you like don't have a blank page in front of you, it gets a little easier. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, if I can write five, five pages, you can write in an hour, you know, five pages, not that so hard. So since usually the first five pages splash somewhere, so it's really like four pages. Uh, and then the next day I try to write as much as I can. Usually I get around page 16 and then the final day I end it. And then you, then theoretically I'd have two more days of the week, uh, to edit. But okay, between my children and you know a comic, you know a comic book like like you know writing the script and turning it in that's like seven, sixty to seventy percent of the writer's job. Um, then you have to deal with uh, coming up with the ideas. You have to deal with uh, getting the letters back. You have to deal with the marketing. You have to go on a podcast with John Suntris, which is so hate great. that it's, it's fucking hate it's a that. weight on my shoulders. Um. <laughs> So you have to so once you do all that stuff that adds up and somehow those two days disappear so yeah usually it takes me about three days a week i'm actually scripting i can appreciate that well then and and you know i mean is it getting easier or does it depend on the book oh it depends on the book like vision writes super easy vision just flows um sheriff of babylon sheriff of babylon is different because sheriff of I've said this before. Uh, Sheriff Babel is based in an unpublished novel I wrote uh, when I was an, when I was unemployed. I pitched I pitched the idea of Sheriff to both Vertigo and to my literary agent at the same time, and they both said yes. Uh, so I wrote it as a comic book first, and because I wanted because I thought it worked better as a comic book, turned that into Vertigo, and they sat on it for a year. And so I had a year of my life, and I wrote the novel in the meantime. And then Grayson got done, and so they said, okay, well let's let's go ahead with your comic book now. And I said, well, I've already written it as a novel, so my my literary agent's like, no, publish the novel. But I was like, I, I, I really liked this comic. And we had Mitch, who I really wanted to work with. Yeah. Uh, Mitch Garretts. Yes. And uh, so I was like, okay, well, let's do it as a comic book. But now I have the novel to guide me. So it's that's a totally different process because I'm looking at a novel. But then, like, that's right. Especially these last few issues of Sheriff have been really tough just PTSD-wise. Like, working on it kind of makes me shake a little bit. So that, that's I, a separate I, thing. Well, I understand because you're putting your characters through the grinder. My God, Ugh, I mean it's yeah. it's great. I mean it really <laughs> is. No, honestly, man, I, I'm sorry, and and I I can appreciate it uh, on a or I can't because I I didn't experience it, but I can't imagine what it was like to to you know how how close to home it hits. You know, I mean, did you know we're gonna bounce all over the place because I got no problem with this as we're talking about this now. <laughs> That's good. We went I've, done, a very... I've done a lot of these, you know, kind of forward interviews. I like bouncing with you, John. I, because people, I feel like I'm, I'm with you. I can we can bounce a little bit and wander. Absolutely. No, no, absolutely, man. I, and I appreciate that you're you're comfortable. That's great. Crosby for the next thirty minutes. <laughs> we could end up talking about Bing Crosby. That's fine. Did you know Joe Sinnott talk... draws, Bing, draws Bing Crosby sketches? This is my who does Joe Sinnott, the famous inkers. Yes, I didn't know that. I just got one. It's my my new prized possession. Oh man, I gotta see that. That's you gotta text me I'm that. Text. Seriously, I'd love to see he's, that. He's, That'd be he's cool. like secretly, a, like I'm a 
Bing Crosby fan. It's a weird part of my personality. I love Bing Crosby. We can get into that. So same. Did you read? Did you read the Gary Giddens? Hell yeah. Jazz? We talked about this last time. Oh man. Oh, I love that shit. Absolutely. And you know, it's so funny. A couple of weeks ago on Turner Classic Movies, Connecticut Yankee at King Arthur's Court was on. That is a that's a good movie. I've watched it many times. That is the closest thing you're ever going to get to having Bing Crosby in an action. <laughs> yes. Because there is literally action in the movie, and, and I think he does a credible job. How you doing, King Arthur? Why don't you come to the palace for a while? The, the, the problem and also the gift of Bing Crosby as a performer is he's always slightly detached from his material. He's always winking at it just a little bit. Oh, yeah. Which is an, it's an amazing thing. But like he, you're watching him in a story. And you're always watching an actor playing the part. He's always like, look at me. I'm playing a part. You know? You're like, and, and, and sometimes it's jarring. You're like, oh, this doesn't work. And sometimes you're like, oh, that's really amazing. It's kind of he's like ironic at the same time as he's playing it. Well, that's why like he and Bob Hope. And it's so weird because nobody, if you've seen video of Bing Crosby, it's usually from the 70s before he died. And he is very, very old. His ears are drooping and everything. And. It looks like, you know, your great-grandfather or whatever. Same thing with Bob Hope. But you go back to the 30s and 40s, and literally, they were two of the hippest entertainers out there. And uh, those those road pictures, yeah, it was them breaking the fourth wall. And like, oh, oh Paramount's going to pay us a lot of money for this movie there, Junior. Yeah, you better believe it. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I was like, okay. I love, Road to Utopia, though, the Alaska one. I'd love that movie. Anyway, now we're cool. off on a big tangent. Yes. No, I like all of that. He's a secret big Crosby huge fan, he, and he sketches them. He's 90 years old. He still draws them. And, I, and, I have, and a buddy of mine went to a con, and he was there and got me a Bing Crosby Senate sketch. Which is- oh, my God. That's awesome. And did, dude, I saw on, on Twitter or Facebook uh, a shot of your office with a ton of your original sketches in frames. And, man, I thought I was doing good. You're kicking ass. You're killing them. Yeah, well, I a stress relief for me, I can't tell you why, is to put things in frames and put them on the wall. And I have this I have this big I have this house with these very large ceilings, and so I just have this whole sort of collage of art to look at to distract me when I'm trying not to write, or to distract me when I'm trying to write. I understand. Occupy me when I'm not trying. To. I did that in my I did that in my radio studio, and my program director, who's no longer there because he got fired, jerk, uh, jerk, gave me such shit, gave me such shit about. It. He's like, uh, don't you find those things distracting? I'm like, what am I, four years old? <laughs> No, they're not distracting. I go, they're, they're, they're helping me think. It's it's fine. So, all right, back to Sheriff of Babylon. Intense interrogation in the most recent issue, uh, the most upsetting uh, kidnapping. Is it Nasir? Isn't that his That's, name? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, you're, you, you, first of all, I really commend you for giving this perspective on the indigenous people and everything, and, and you really do. You're, you're doing a great job of it. Just explaining all the facets of this very complicated story. I mean, we've talked about this before, but um, man, I really felt like the last two issues in particular, it's just, it's heart wrenching. It really is. And it's, it's just great adult entertainment. And this is what makes vertigo the superior line that it is, is stuff like this. Honestly, I think it's just, it's, it's amazing. And if, you know, people need to catch up, the the trade is out for the first six issues. What's well, out? In, issue uh, seven just came out last week. The trade's out in just a few weeks. Oh, excuse me. I thought it was already out. Yeah, it, it's it's been printed, but I don't think it's out in the stores. Okay. Well, coming soon. With a quote on the cover by Brad Thor, who threatened to kill Donald Trump. So take that as you will. With a, a, a quote on the cover by who? Brad Thor. He's a um, a thriller writer, and he very nicely blurbed the book. Um, uh, and then after he blurbed the book, many but 
he, uh, he was on the Glenn Beck show and <laughs> he, he uh, applied, implied in a very theoretical way that if Trump was elected president, he'd have to be, quote unquote, like taken out somehow. <laughs> That's, that's the guy. Yes, because, yeah, Glenn Beck, Beck got in a lot of trouble for that. Yeah, and Beck got taken off the air for it. Yeah, now, so, so we got these emails. We're like, we don't know if this will have a negative or positive impact on the book. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, all right, well, we're running with it. So there it is. There's I like it. No, I like it. I got, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, you know, interesting, interesting pointed quote, and, and nobody wants to, con, you know, condone violence, but uh, that's good. I mean, it's a controversial, I think. I don't even know if it's a controversial book because I, I don't I don't know out, out is there a lot out there that gets this deep into um what went on in Iraq and and um in some of the the recent wars that we have been in um I know that there've been a few movies and stuff I I personally wouldn't go see those movies because it just it, it felt too upsetting and stuff and you as you say yourself in terms of writing the stuff sometimes it can get a little upsetting but is there a lot? Is there a lot of uh, fiction out there that is uh, based on uh, based on you know the Iraq and Af- Afghani wars? Yeah, I mean, there's quite. I mean, there's not a huge amount. I think the writers for that generation is finally coming up. I mean, if you think about when those wars started, now that was 12, 13 years ago. I mean, we're getting into that point of when like Platoon was coming out as, um, in terms of the Vietnam War, our child. Sure, sure. Um, no, you're right about that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're getting to the point where I mean, the, the only difference is that war keeps going. Like by the time I was a kid, Vietnam has was over and um but i mean there, there's the what the the long halftime walk i think is the most famous one it's about a bunch of soldiers they're making it into a movie that's coming out and, okay uh, and there's a book of short stories that won some big prizes last year but hopefully mine's unique first of all it's a comic book second of all it's um it's a perspective of a cia officer not a soldier right and uh and third of all it's better than all the rest of them, so suck it. <laughs> Can your deal with Vertigo allow you to still make the novel? Because I remember, you know, God, Denny O'Neill's question run is so exceptional as a comic book. And about 10 years ago, he came out with a paperback called Helltown. And it really was this kind of, I wouldn't call it a novelization because it had a lot of different stuff in it. But he basically took the same material and made a, a paperback. Uh, it's. I'm sure you could find it on Amazon if people aren't aware of it. We talked about it in my in one conversation with Denny uh, that he, that he came on Word Balloon and, and talked. Amazon, and I, I, yeah, man, I love that. I love that thing. And are you? I mean, because I would think that you know you you would kind of hit two different audiences with this stuff. Are you able to do that? I don't think I. I think the comic needs to stand on its own. I think it works as a comic book better than as a novel. I think I'll keep that. Okay. Keep that word at least for now, unless someone talks me into it with a lot of money. Uh, which is an easy way to talk me into things, probably. I yeah, I mean, look, uh, kids, right? well, Kirkman's doing it with Walking Dead. Bendis has started to do it with Powers. You know. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I you know, I started in novels. I mean, the first thing I wrote was a novel for Simon and Schuster. I don't know if I'm so eager to go back or not. I mean, I mean, Sheriff is going to have sort of a history because now Hollywood's like way into it. So fantastic. Uh, so we'll see how that goes with that sort of thing. I think that's going to be the guiding force in the in this going forward. Uh, Good for you, man. It's no, it is just really intense and uh, very satisfying. And each issue is incredibly satisfying. And, and that's another trick uh, for lack of a better word that I, that I think every writer has to face right now uh, in this very crowded creator own world. Um, 
I mean, I, I really feel like every time I read an issue of Sheriff, it's, it's, it's very satisfying. It's, it's, I mean, Mitch's art is out of, out of the ballpark. This issue in, in particular, uh, very Ab- Abu Gareb. Yeah. Wasn't that, the, wasn't that the prison that, uh, yeah. Yeah. Where, where all the photos were released and everything. Yeah, That's yeah. immediately what came to mind in, in reading this issue and everything. I know I was trying to present it in a way that people can kind of understand how an interrogator can find themselves in that situation just by being a little more assholic than they should be, but not being inhuman. Where this guy, you know, Nasser's purposely shitting himself so to take off his clothes, and and then you find yourself at the head, and you're just like, "What's?" Good? I mean, I was never in that situation, but I talk to people who are in that situation. Sure, um, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to make. I mean, there are characters in there who are assholes. But I'm trying to not make to make them evil because evil asshole people understand, but evil doesn't really. That doesn't hit people too often. Um, so I was trying to make that, and then the. Even the harder part of that book, I mean, the interrogation scenes were intense for me and they were tough to write. But the, the she's having a miscarriage in the other scenes. Yeah. And yeah. that was, I mean, that was intense to write if anyone has experienced that stuff. Um, and and I wanted to sort of show the sort of, I wanted to contract, because they're both being sort of interrogated in different ways by by the American intelligence and they're both sort of surviving through it relying on these strengths and Nasser sorts of fights it in the, in, the, in a, a very typical way that you've seen in a bunch of movies where he's just like go fuck yourself and uh, but Sophia has to deal with a whole different problem where she's going through this she's going through a miscarriage because she was um, involved in a bombing accident and it's Chris's child the other person that, and but she has to yeah. she has to live her life she has to sort of make this meeting or else Nasser's going to basically you know, die. And so she makes the meeting, but she's going through this experience and she has to tough it out and grit her teeth. And, um, those scenes were just as hard to write as, as the other ones. I can, yeah. It's just an insane situation and an insane backdrop. No, it's a lighthearted book. is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah, but that's, but it is, it's just incredibly intense. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it, it's excellent. And, and really it's, it's this kind of, uh, pushing the envelope, uh, comic book creating and stuff that I really think is great. And that's the exception. I mean, that's, you know, every, everybody likes our, 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 you know, daily amount of uh, superhero intake and everything. And, and you're just getting started with Batman and we'll see what kind of dark alleys uh, you're able to go in with Batman and that. But that's the thing. I really think you're only seven issues into Sheriff and it's insane. Same goes with Vision. I mean, you're seven issues in different kind of insanity. You got a family of insanity. This is like now I always said it was like Ray Bradbury good in terms of what i was getting vision and now really as you get more and more into the family dynamic do you ever see ordinary people it's a 36 year old movie yes, you know what i'm talking about yeah it's like ray bradbury meets ordinary people this is like the dysfunctional robot family basically <laughs> which is great no no mary tyler moore robot no asshole mom robot no, and everything no, no, mary tyler moore. i should have vision uh to trip over an ottoman in one house <laughs> very dick van dyke I, you know, ordinary people, my, uh, my, my, uh, two friends, their brothers from a very dysfunctional family, the whole family sees ordinary people and they're driving home and the mom goes, I bet you boys think I'm like, just like that mother. <laughs> That's never a good. And song. what do you say to That's that? And, and, and there's like a beat of silence. And then the father goes, well, at least she made breakfast for everybody <laughs> <laughs> and silence for the rest of the drive home. There you go. Thank God. They're both fine right now, and the parents are dead. So, I saw so, the great Santini. I was like, what is this guy complaining about? At least his dad showed up. Like, my dad was gone <laughs> way before then. Like, 
<laughs> at least his dad would hit him in the face with a basketball. My dad could give a fuck about the basketball. Uh, I just heard uh, that guy on Fresh Air. Is it that, that was was that Pat Conroy? Yeah, he just to, away, yeah, I heard that same. We listen to the same things. I heard that same. When people die, I love listening to the Fresh Air thing. It's a very morbid thing to do, but I always do it. Well, I mean, luckily she's got this body of work that you know. You go back and you hear these interviews, and you you hear the essence of these people. Gary Shandling, uh, right after he passed away, they re, uh, they replayed. Um, God, I think it was Pete Holmes's podcast. And uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of different comedians that had Shandling on in the last couple of years would replay their interviews. But I really felt like the Pete Holmes one in particular. He really got inside Gary Shandling's head, and it was no, it's it's great to kind of be reminded of the person and hear them in their own voice and everything. You know, unfortunately, they've passed away, but it's it's a good reminder of who they were. So it's kind of cool stuff. I agree. Unbelievable, man. So Vision. Vision. Vision uh, has got his brother, and uh, which I love that that concept too. That Vision has this robot brother that is trying, in his own way, to be as human as possible as well, and not fall into his same destiny. Well, it was a fun chance to to, to do this sort of play the cool uncle card because um, <laughs> Vision has this sort of distance from his children. I think, which is sort of this natural sort of robot distance. And so to bring in a character that could, you know, because Vic, Victor Mancha thought he was human most of his life. Vision's always known he's a robot. So Victor Mancha kind of, he, I mean, the horrible way to put it is that he can pass. Like he's, he talks like a man. He, ta- he right. doesn't have the robot voice. He doesn't have the robot looks and nothing about him. And he's, and he's been programmed with 16 years of normal culture. To think of him so so it's fun to put him in that mix where he can sort of relate to people on an empathetic human level and be sort of that cool uncle you know who comes in and is like i know your dad's giving you a tough shit but let me tell you how real it is you know and, and tell them like a stupid story about their grandfather and i just i got to do a lot of like <laughs> who happens to be ultron right that's why vision's fun because you're like i want to write a scene where an uncle talks about a grandfather but you know <laughs> but i'll talk about how shiny ultron is even though he's evil yeah, and he's got a voice like a microwave. He's got a voice awesome. like a secondhand microwave. I don't even know what a secondhand microwave would sound like, but I like this term of it. Uh, I liked it as well. Very good. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so it was fun bringing Victor in there. And, of course, Victor plays a huge role going forward because now we're sort of revving up. Vision, so Vision, Omega Man, and Sheriff are all 12-issue stories that complete after 12 issues. Sheriff wraps up with 12? Sheriff, the first story wraps up with 12. It's an ongoing series that Mitch and I are doing. Um, but that first story with those three main characters and the murder mystery and the terrorist, that all wraps up at 12. Okay. okay. Um, so, and then you're going to go to a different different characters and another... Well, so we're gonna, I think we're probably going to take a little break in between. Okay. And then we're going to come back with... And I can't, say we're gonna, I can't quite say what we're going to come back with. But those characters aren't... I mean, the ones that survive are not going to go away. Okay. Who knows going to survive in Sheriff, but... All right, I'm with you. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't want anything because, and that's kind of what I was getting at earlier in terms of I think a lot of creator-owned uh, books are kind of figuring out what's the right length because um, I, I haven't talked to him about it directly, but I noticed Tim Seeley um, complaining online that you know he's like, yeah, after revival, I don't know if I want to do a really long, drawn-out story like this creator-owned again because it's tough to hold on to an audience, which is totally true. Yeah, and I mean, and this, Tim and I have talked about that a lot. A lot. You know, Tim Seeley and I said we're, we used to write Grayson together, so we're, of course, we're, we're yeah, like yeah. brothers. Um, and it's interesting because 
usually what happens, it doesn't happen with everybody, is the longer you go, the better your first trade sells. So you're writing comics in order to sell your first trade again. Um, I think it's gen generally what I've heard. I haven't actually gone through this, but this is what I hear from people. So like, so if people see like, oh, something that has a 60 run arc, you'll make all your money off of that first trade. But I mean, I, I want to do that. I want to do, I feel like every comic creator needs a, one of those seven, you know, and it's like preacher set the standard or preacher and Sandman simultaneously set the standard that everyone's going for. So, I'd even say hundred bullets as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, hundred bullets and why the last man. Sure. Scalp scalps. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that 70, that 60 to 70 issue arc where you're just like, I've told a huge story in a, in my own universe. I think, I think, I, I mean, this, I want to do it and I, and, and I'd like to do that with this sort of sheriff universe that we're building. And, and with cool. Mitch, and Mitch is all in. He wants to keep going. Um, That's great. So That's we're going to do that after a small break. Um, so, yeah. So anyways, my point in that was that Vision wraps up. was a long way to say Vision wraps up in 12 issues. So we're ramping up for the for the horrible finale where all the horribleness happens. That's cool. And who, who did you pitch? Who did you pitch Vision to? Who did I pitch Vision to originally? Yeah. Uh, they came to me with, with Vision. Wow, they came to me with vision. Just like, do you have a vision story in you? Yes, this is this is the common th thing you do. Um, I, uh, I Omega Men was happening; it just started. Grayson was a hit. Omega Men was less than a hit, uh, but <laughs> fortunately, Will Moss, who's one of the genius editors in comics uh, over at Marvel, uh, it came to me and and was like. I've got a character that's perfect for you. I was like, I know it's going to be some spy thing, but I'll say yes, whatever, I don't care. And he's like, Vision. I was like, oh, Vision. Yay. My favorite character that I have never thought that much about. Um, but I pretended it was my favorite character. I was like, yeah, I love Vision. But I mean, I do, I, I was a big West Coast Avengers fan as a kid. And I was, and I was a huge Marvel zombie. And I came up through the Avengers, like when Marvel zombies were like, we're the cool people were X-Men and the nerds were Avengers fans. I was an Avengers fan. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, that, I mean, so the vision was a little bit my jam. Like I knew his history, I knew what he'd done. Uh, and I was, so I, was I, mean, I was excited just to get in the Avengers world. And, uh, and they asked me for a pitch and I said, you know, cause when, when someone gives you a pitch, like the first thing you want is for them to put you in a box because you're like, if I'm just pitching vision, like what kind of, cause you're trying to guess, especially when you're just in the beginning, like in my career now, I'm a little different now where I have a little more power, but back then I had zero power at all. So you really want them to say yes. You're trying desperately to get them to say yes. So you're like, what is in their head? Like, what do they want me to pitch? Just tell me what you want me to pitch and I'll pitch that. But you can't say that because then you sound like an uncreative asshole. Sure. <laughs> um, so you kind of like hint at that stuff. You're like, hey, are there any like limitations? You know, you send these like very tentative emails, you know, hey, you know, what do you guys think? And they're like, sci-fi. And I was like, okay, sci-fi, run with that, you know, vision in space and I had this whole thing where, like, Vision's going to, you know, be the new Doctor Who, which I not re I should have realized that, like, Slot was doing that with Silver Surfer already. But anyways, that was in my head. <laughs> um, but uh, I was like, it's in space. And I'm gonna, I get to play with all those, like, characters, like the Inbetweener and Eternity and those all those Jim Starlin gems. Sure, man. And, uh, and they're like, no, 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 sci-fi, but not in space. I was like, oh, man, what the fuck is sci-fi, but not in space mean? <laughs> 
It means the Twilight Zone, my man, and that's you know great sci-fi. That's what you're doing. Go on. And that's where my brain went. So I'm like, okay, sci-fi. So it has to be like Twilight Zoney kind of thing. And then I was like, okay, I was like, what's sci-fi? And I was like, oh, Frankenstein's like sci-fi, but not in space. I was like, okay, so Frankenstein has a wife. Sure. So I was like, okay, so Vision has a wife. I'll just rip that off. That'll be good. I'll give her a big old. Uh, hairdo and I was like that's stupid everyone will see <laughs> everyone will immediately see who I'm copying um, so I gotta come up with something slightly more original than that and um, and then I came up and I was like oh well what if they have kids that's slightly because Frankenstein didn't have kids I was like yeah he he makes a wife and then he makes his own kids I was like oh that's fucking insane that's cool let's do that yeah man oh I, I love the scene in the restaurant and they're going through the the ritual of a family outing at a restaurant. And no, we're not going to have food. We're just going to sit here for 45 minutes and then you're going to give us the check. Because we don't eat. We're androids. But we will, we will go through the motions because we're – that's the great thing. It's everyone is trying to be as normal as possible and that's where they fail. And that's so great because they all – each individual character, that is what they're trying their best to be is just normal and there is something inside of them that is keeping them from achieving what they want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's all about alienation and sort of about the, the like when I was when I was a kid, all I wanted to be was normal, and I couldn't be, and I tried and tried, but I just couldn't achieve normalcy because in my heart I was a stupid nerd. Yeah, but don't isn't it great to be an adult now and go? Everyone is kind of even even the pretty people were having the same fucking problem, and we just didn't know. That's it. exactly right. Yeah, that's the lesson. Like there was the, all my worry about being normal was such a waste of worry. You know, I should have just embraced my nerd and been as cool as like the kids who come up to me in cons now and are just like, I love Batman. I love. I was like, wow. I wish when I was a kid, I had the guts to just go. I mean, I had kids who Twitter at me. I cannot imagine being a kid and being like, I'm gonna call Walt Simonson tonight and tell him how awesome he is. I mean, how insane is that? <laughs> um. So I wish I had sort of embraced embraced my nerd, and I think some of that comes out in vision where I'm like, well, you don't have to be normal. Try to, be. And, but their attempts to be normal just lead to uh, lead to disaster, which is this, disaster this, and madness. Disaster, yes. madness, yeah. Oh man, it's great. Go on. So uh, yeah, so that, and then that that was the twist on the pitch because once I had the, the vision and the kids, I talked to um, a buddy of mine, uh, Daryl Taylor, who's my who's, who helps me. He was a super nerd who I bounce ideas off of. And uh, and Chris Campbell, they have a Batman podcast, and, uh, and I was I was like, what do you think of this idea? And he's like, that sounds really boring. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're right, it does. Just Vision and his the kids. Vision pitch. Yeah, because I was just like, because all it was was Vision and his kids. I was like, it's, and they're trying to be normal and they're a family. And he's like, yeah, that sounds really boring. So then I was like, oh yeah, well, what if what, what makes things not boring? I was like, um, murder. So I was like, what if it's Breaking Bad <laughs> visions? And I was like, and in the first episode um the wife accidentally murders the grim reaper and it's like, yeah okay now there's some blood in it now it could be a comic book i was like okay <laughs> and that, that's how and the neighbors and everybody else and it's that uh that backyard is getting very filled <laughs> with a lot of corpses <laughs> some corpses <laughs> yeah even the dog the i love dog. Their, i love their dog that's fantastic sparky he's now named sparky <laughs> We got, I think, over a thousand entries. I think it was some, but including the Facebook, one of the two thousand entries of people getting dog names. <laughs> and then that re revelation that uh, Vivian is uh, 
or Virginia rather, is uh, has got the engrams of uh, the brain engrams of, of Wanda. That's right. Yeah, and and not just any Wanda, but the the Wanda from um, Busiek's run on Avengers, which if once Bendis got to it, he made that Wanda had been slightly crazy. So she has this slightly crazy Wanda before she sort of gets rebooted uh, post. Um, Disassembled and all. Yeah, post No More X Men, whatever that was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, No More Mutants. That's no right. Mutants, yeah. House of House, House of them. them. There's my brain finally kicking in. Nah, you know, hey, there's a lot of there's a lot of events, my man. I completely understand. Good God, I couldn't remember Avengers standoff when I was talking to Spencer about what's going on in Captain America. <laughs> so, boy, it'd be great to see Evil Cap suddenly show up uh, at the Vision House, and uh, you know, let's let's see some more. Uh, damage going on and stuff like that what does cap what does evil cap do with the vision family <laughs> i've got an assignment for you when i saw the halo hydra thing i immediately sent a text to scott snyder i was like so you think we can do like bat batman can join a really bad guy <laughs> i wanted to lure him into it but he, he said no i said no oh, i was like man. it's a lot of attention we can do it no i'm telling yeah. you man again much like much like sheriff every issue of vision i think we're going down this rabbit hole and it gets crazier and crazier. And, you know, the introduction of, uh, and I get Victor, Victor, Victor Mancha, another V name, yes. Victor, of course, which makes sense. I like it. And, I, and, you know, and eventually I, he's destined to become an evil Avenger named victorious. Yes. The bitter irony. Exactly. The, that, that Victor, you know, is kind of a better version of vision in, in being uh, more human looking and stuff, but ultimately, uh, you know, yeah, this that, that he's going to be victorious, but a great enemy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's like a huge irony that the, the one thing the thing he most wants in life is to not be victorious. I was like, I was like, that's such a brilliant thing. I mean, it's a BKB thing. That doesn't come from me. I was like, that's great. Like to to be to achieve victory, he has to not be victorious. It's a wonderful comic book thematic pun there. I got to play with that. That's absolutely yeah. But that's the thing, man. You're you're taking what Brian threw out there and you're building on it. And and I think using him in a in a really great way uh, that maybe Brian didn't see coming. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Well, man, the I mean, I'm writing the end now. We're getting really close to sort of the climax. And I, I mean, I've been saying this all along, but I mean, this is a Shakespearean tragedy. It does not end well. I mean, all that stuff that in the in the um, in the captions that people are saying about things going horribly wrong at the end. I don't. I didn't want to suddenly be like, and everything comes out flowers and roses. Like, no, it doesn't come out flowers and roses. Outstanding. Oh, that's great. I also I love that Vin is quoting Shakespeare, and, and Victor has to have the talk with him. Hey, we all know what you're doing upstairs. All right, you're not combing your hair. We all know it. <laughs> that was the most fun scene to write. <laughs> that was fantastic, was, man. When my editor, I turned in the script and he called me. And he's like, Tom, can we talk about the script? And I was like, Is the masturbation scene too much? He's like, No, I love it. I was like. Sweet. No, that was genius, man. That was that was very very funny. Excellent shit. Yeah, no, that was one very cool. Writing. You're just like this is making me laugh. Therefore, it's okay. Well, that's what I mean, man. No, you got so much uh, spinning around that it is. It's funny. It's scary. It's uh, it's disturbing in in the best robot way. I always, I mean, Ex Machina a couple years ago, uh, or I guess just last year. I forget when that movie came yeah, out. That was a good movie. You gotta love when ro- robots go wrong. Yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm helped out so much on that art, by the art team on that, Gabriel Walter and Jordy Blair. And even the lettering by Clayton Coles is so brilliant. Um, so uh, the, my scripts are not as good as that comic book is. Gabriel puts horribly haunting stuff in there all the time. And he's designed this house, which 
I mean, like in the beginning, it was sort of a, I was, you know, when you're a kid and you, you like figure out the like architecture of Watchmen, and you're like, wow, he went back to that corner and across the street from the corner is the not store. And like, you're like, oh, it's all like adds up. And I was like, that's really weird. Yep. And he was like, and I've, when I entered comics, I was like, I should do that. I like, could not figure out how to do it. And Gabriel did it with this house. He has this house architectured out and we've architectured out. That's fucking writer talk there. Architectured. I know what you mean. Go on. Um, and, and we really get to play with sort of this house as a, as a central location in this sort of claustrophobic symbolic place. Um, so, uh, Gabriel's killing it. And, and I mean, Jordy was so good that I, I couldn't work with anyone else on Batman. So I dragged her over to that series. Cause I just, that's great. I love seeing her colors on everything. Absolutely. No, she's killing it. It's, uh, no, it's great, man. Honestly, I, I really think, uh, that's the thing. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled with you know the fact that you've got the Batman gig and we're right at the beginning of it, but these two these two books, Sheriff and, and Vision, are just so outside the box in terms of what conventional comic book you know storytelling is that I, I really think if people are only reading your Batman stuff, they are really missing out. And I I am one of those people that did not read Omega Men, so I will you know other than what I had to read to talk to you a little bit about it. But, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to be going back to it in the same way that I did with Snyder. Snyder did that Iron Man noir. Yeah. Pretty good. And, you know, that, you know, I mean, that's, you know, it's it's like Jeff Johns's little bit of uh, Avengers work. Yeah. Before he became a DC. Red, something red. Red. I, don't know, I, read, I read it recently. So it's pretty good. Well, that's what I mean. And it's kind of interesting now to go back and see that stuff. Um, you know, because, yeah, you just you, there's just too many books out there to, you know, keep keep track of everything. Obviously, you know, and it's an ex- pretty expensive to do that too. But you Very know, it's, it's well, DC's well, a little what, better now. They're two ninety nine at least. They that's true. Although two a month, so really it's six. It's six bucks of a month of an investment as opposed to, you know, four dollars or whatever. So I, I mean, let's. Or just because we're trying to get you to drop your three ninety nine books, or your I or understand. your four ninety nine books if you're reading Civil War. There are four ninety nine books out there, and I'm I'm really sorry that we're at a point now where literally it's five bucks a book, and that's just it's wrong. I just really I, I don't know I don't know what the plan is but it's we'll see what happens it's very interesting as I as I, I kind of talked about this we talked a little bit about this I think in the last recorded conversation and it it came up again uh, when I was you know talking about uh, just rebirth and what Marvel is doing um, in the face of what's happening in the in the uh, creator owned market and you know just from a story standpoint everything is great. But the prices are just really getting nuts. And you, as we've said before, there's just this segment of the audience that doesn't give a shit about, you know, oh, but we fixed we fixed everything in D.C. Or, hey, this is a really good Marvel story. Yeah, well, that's great. I'm 20 years old and I just came for a cool story. I don't really have any investment in Spider-Man or the Avengers or Justice League or Superman or Batman. I just want to read cool books. And this creator-owned stuff, you know, hits a different chord. And it's the chord that this new audience is looking for. And so if DC and Marvel think the choices that they're making mean, oh, we'll go back to the way the numbers used to be, I don't know if that's very realistic. I really don't. I keep saying there's a, I think there's a new normal. And I do think that um, the moves that they've made will re-energize the Wednesday Warriors and get them, you know, kind of excited again about what's happening at the big two. But if they think it's going to mean you know, uh, going from t- an average of 20,000 to 60,000. It's like, well, you're kidding yourself. I don't, I just don't think that's going to happen. 
And maybe I'm wrong. We'll, we'll see. But I, I just think, like I said, I think there's a new normal. The numbers will push up again uh, on certain books. But you just see it. You see it every every month when they when they announce what the top ten books are, and there are fewer books that hit over a hundred thousand than there used to be. And it's like, yeah, because yeah. it's a different audience. There's the the makeup of the general market. What what do you think of my bullshit that I'm just saying now? <laughs> I think comics in the last ten years have let people down. I mean, maybe five years. I just don't think. I don't think the quality has been what it should be. And I, and I mean that with all respect. I think it's a combination of so many factors. But, like, I just... The comics that were being made in the early aughts are not as good as the comics that are being made today, in my opinion. Not, not, not in mainstream comics, not elsewhere. I mean, the big two. In, yeah, you're talking about the I'm big talking two. talking about the big two, yeah. Um, and I think, I think that's just a, it's a combination of factors. And I, and I know... Uh, DC is aware of that, and and uh, and 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 even the, the Dan Didier, who everyone hates, who who's a friend of mine. Um, <laughs> I like Dan. Yeah, <laughs> uh, very nice. He's been insanely supportive of my career and has never like interfered with me in that way that everybody hates. So he's been nice to me. That's all I can tell you. Uh, is is he he is he is totally aware of that, and because because he was part of the the early. I mean he. Helped Shepard in '52. I mean, the series '52. Yes. Um, and all those awesome lead-ups to it, when we were like so, when everyone was so invested in the DCU that we like, we were really sort of hanging on every thread of like, you know, is Tim gonna become Batman? Is Connor gonna become Superman? And you know, we we're just like, what's the next twist? And he realized that we sort of lost the chain of that. Like, so people just stopped caring. You know, people don't because the absolutely, and they, they just they. And I mean, and again, it wasn't any one person's fault, but it, like people just, this they thought the, the look the, the reason comics work, or at least the two mainstream books, to, 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 is because people invest in the world and they feel that the world is in some way real. I felt this way. I still feel this way. I write it. I know all the personalities, and somehow I still feel this way. And if you, and if you don't. And, and, and that raises the stakes for the stories you're reading. So that when you're reading a story, you're like, this is a person who lives in a world. And if something happens to them, it's impactful to that world. Yes. And, one, if, and once you start to read too many people that are out of character or don't add up or their origins are too chained, like you start to lose the connection to that world. Or they're just written crappily. You're just like, this person's written, written crappily. That's not how they're supposed to read. And once you lose that connection to the continuity and to that world, then the stakes aren't lower. It just feels like you're reading fan fiction. You're just reading a bunch of people, you know, nerds like me writing the characters they want to write rather than, than what comics should be, which is a window on this magical world. Um, and I think we, we've sort of lost, we lost a little bit on that five years. And I think that we've lost part of our, and part of it is the Wednesday Warriors, but also part of it is people, new people coming to comics. I came to comics thinking, when I was a kid, that's how I came to comics, and I wanted to see fantastic comics that were good. And when I came back to comics, and I'm picking it up, and I'm like, "Holy shit, what is Ultimates? This is amazing!" Or um, yes, or uh, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, or Dare. I just named Bendis titles for next. Time. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were all. But good. the incredible experimentation that was going on with Mark Miller and and Warren Ellis and uh, Brubaker and Rucka. And these guys that were just like redefining the genre, like, um, but inside the universe, I don't know I, if we can get back to that high level of quality. And I know the talents there. I know my colleagues are good enough to do it. Uh, and I, I, I hope I'm can at least contribute to that. Uh, 
if then I, then I think we can do. I mean, you look at the two best-selling DC comics, the ones that did sell over a hundred thousand. It was Justice League. It was Jeff Johns' Justice League, and it was Scott Snyder's Spider-Man. It's not a coincidence that those happen to just be the best-written books in the line. Um, that those guys are the are fantastic writers who were connecting to their stories emotionally and uh, and also knew the DC universe back and forth. So I think well, raise the quality. It, I think in Snyder's case, I got it because he he was creating new things for the Batman universe, but also it was all tied to Batman's history. Yes. Um, and, and Jeff, you know, it's weird because I, I don't, I have to admit, I didn't engage as, as tightly with what Jeff was doing in justice league, partially because it took forever for the stuff to come out and it was moving incredibly slow for me. Um, Good God. I mean, it really, everything that happened. And also, like you said, the the, the failure of the, 50, the New 52 was that in trying to be so different, it ostracized the characters themselves from their own connections within their own universe. And everything was so brand new that you lost what you loved about the companionship of so many of these characters, both heroes and villains. And then also... Um, it, it, it like you said, it turned off the reader because it's like, well, this isn't the Superman that I know. This isn't the Flash that I know. Um, yeah. What do you mean they're not married? What do you mean uh, these guys aren't friends? It's it it's it's like, well, then fine, fuck you. I don't need to read this shit anymore. Goodbye. And and I mean, it really, I mean, I would just kind of peek in and be like, all right, what's happening in Flash now? Oh, okay, still not really connecting with everybody. Okay, see you later. Hey, but wait, look, there's a, there's a uh, there's an annual, and this is the first time the Green Lantern and the Flash met each other. Really, fuck you. It happened 50 years ago. <laughs> Not interested. Thanks for playing. And I mean, really, I'd get, as you know, I mean, from our last recorded conversation, that's how angry I got. The good news is Rebirth is establishing that. They found a, a fun story plot point to say that Wally is telling everybody that we what we already know, and that is we all used to be friends. We all knew each other, and this was taken away from us. We got to figure out why. And we got to get back to what we lost. And that is obviously, you know, I know Dan said that as well at the um, at the retailer summit that I that I saw in Chicago a month or so ago before uh, Rebirth came out. And um, no, I think I, I mean, honestly, the, the first wave of Rebirth issues and stuff, I think, is showing that, including yours. And this is an opportunity for us to start talking about Batman. But um yeah, I, I mean, I, honestly, I have to say, like, across the board, before we go into the details of your book and everything, no, I'm liking what I'm reading. I really am. I think it's – I haven't read everything in the last two weeks, but um, the five or six that I've read, and I've got a pile of other things waiting to read and everything, it's like, no, I, all right, the connections are coming back. That's great. And we'll see how many people get get that, you know, message of, hey, this – guess what? It's good again. I mean, that's how I felt in 1999 when um, – Kevin Smith and Casada were doing Daredevil. Yeah, it's like, hey man, Daredevil's good again. Right. It's kind of like the Frank Miller run. Really, who's doing it? Uh, Joe Casada and uh, and uh, uh, Kevin Smith. Really? All right, let me check it out. God damn, this does look like Daredevil again. All right, I'm in. You know, and and it's weird because like you said, the Ultimates, Ultimate Spider-Man, and the Ultimates, that stuff was happening, but it, at least it was happening in a parallel universe while you were still getting your six one six stories. So. There was no alienation of of the readership as there was with the new fifty two of oh no it's all it's a brand new we're, we're starting at number one again well we don't you know don't throw everything out well we are okay 
It better be good. And some of it was, but it moves so fucking slow. Good Christ. I mean, I'm glad that uh, Wally says it feels like 10 years have been taken away. Because, yeah, these last five years, it does feel like 10 years. <laughs> it really does. I, I don't even know. I mean, that's the thing. I'd, I haven't had a chance to talk to Jeff. I would love to talk to Jeff even off the record and find out or, you know, just casually at a convention and go, yeah, is it, <laughs> a lot of what he put in there is almost this like dig of, man, we really did fuck up and this is how we fucked up and this is how badly we fucked up. It's only been five years. It feels like 10 years. So, well, no, I mean, no one loves the DCU better than Jeff Johns. I mean, nobody loves the characters and loves the legacy and loves that stuff. I mean, he, he, he uh, eats it for breakfast. I mean, that's like his bread yeah, and man. butter. Uh, well, and you see it on the TV shows. Yeah, you see it on the TV. I mean, uh, Je- Jeff called me because he knows I'm a super nerd uh, before he. Super nerd. Super nerd, yeah. That's me. <laughs> Uh, he was kind. He, he called me and he's like, you know, he told me about Rebirth way back in the day. And he's like, this is kind of what we're doing, what we're thinking of doing. And, and he's like, can we just go through like things that don't work in the new Fifty Two kind of like things? And we like literally like made a list, like it was a math problem or something, of like what's gone, you know, what's gone on, and what we can fix, and like going back, like how to get back to the classics. And we sort of went over it, and. Um, and we were we were on the exact same page, you know. And it was it was about just it was about simplifying things and and making the relationships that really broke people's hearts still break their hearts, you know. Like, I mean, the simplest thing, like in Green Arrow, I tried Green Arrow one today, which I loved, of you know having Black Canary and Green Arrow be in love again, you know, like and have a history. It's just yeah. it's such a simple thing, but it means a ton. So, I mean, my my daughter, who's six years old, loves that romantic relationship, and when she picks up a Green Arrow book, she wants to see that. That's interesting. Wow, that's cool that she knows that. Uh, only being six, so you must you are you're raising her right. Oh, my my daughter is a superhero nerd. I love her. Yeah, she's right now she's sleeping in a black canary. She loves black canary because if I, you don't have children, but little girls have this like scream that's like louder and higher than anything <laughs> that should ever exist on Earth, and they know it and like they can use it if they're mad about something. And she's like, "Whoa, you mean there's someone who, who's." I have a superpower. I can do the Black Canary scream. Ah! Like, no! <laughs> I got super excited when she found out Black Canary's powers. She was really into it. That's awesome. That's fantastic. She has no, I'm Uncle Buck enough, man, and I've got enough nieces out there that I, I've heard the Canary cry come from the four-year-olds. I've just never associated their ear-piercing scream with Canaries, and I get it. That's fantastic. Um, uh, yeah, so... Well, I'm excited about Rebirth, I guess. <laughs> but, 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 you know, the launch has gone great. The numbers are insane. Um, the Batman numbers are especially insane. Attaboy. And, Very good. And, but that's just step one, right? Like, anything can launch big. Like, you're going to write Batman number one for the third time ever. It's, the people are going to buy the crap out of it. It's sure. It's what happens in six months that defines whether it's a success or not. Whether Attaboy. You, Tom, you get it. Exactly, man. I, I had uh, John Cunningham and, and uh, Bob Wayne for the first few months of the new 52 beat their chest with pride and how they were, how it was kicking ass and everything. And it's like, I said the same thing last year with DCU, YOU, that, that initiative. And I'm like, look, these are all very interesting, creative ideas. Of course, Omega Man was part of that. And it's like, is the published, are you guys going to stand by these ideas? If it takes a while for the public to catch on, I think in the cases of rebirth, um, again, you're going back to home cooking, and it is simplifying and reconnecting things that people want. The Titans being back together again. I read that uh, yesterday. 
And uh, it was great. It was excellent. And it's like, yeah, we want the fucking Teen Titans to know each other. The re- <laughs> the original Teen Titans. Duh. Yeah. God, I remember having this conversation with Lubdell when he was doing uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws and stuff. And it's like, so so these guys don't know each other anymore? And he's like, yeah, no. no. He goes, like, they work together. It's kind of it's kind of distant, and we'll eventually get to it. Well, five years later, you find they finally got to it and everything. And again, I don't blame Scott for that. That's that's who knows where that came from as far as up upstairs and editorial and stuff. But but the the connections are there. So let's let's get down to Batman um, and, this, and this beginning yeah. because um, this is a unique experience, Richard. John. This is brand new. I want your readers who or your listeners, my goodness, uh, to know this is very bizarre for me to write a book that. 350,000 copies were sold or whatever it is. Congratulations. That's fantastic. That's excellent. Omega Men, which just wrapped up, Omega Men number 12, was officially the lowest selling DC book of the year. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. I was numbered last. So it is very bizarre to be number one. To go from absolute last number, so I'm 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 getting used to it, but it's weird. It's (laughs) people were I'm recording this the day after Batman one came out. Yes, and um, I mean when you win three hundred fifty, I mean that's that's how many it's sold. So who knows how many people actually read it? But you're like guaranteed that like fifty thousand people hate it, and that's a weird thought in your head. Fifty thousand people hate something that Yankee Stadium hates something you wrote. You know, you're like oh. Have you have you read bad reviews? I haven't seen any bad reviews. I'm, I mean, it's it, it's pretty good, but uh, I, I my I have horrible friends who send them to me because they like to laugh at me because they make want to make sure they don't get a big head about anything, or maybe they're just mean. Either way, uh, and they sent me one today, and it was a guy doing like a thirty minute rant on him hating the issue. It was like a live Facebook thing. <laughs> Hilarious! He was just going off on every little detail in the book about how he hated it. I'm sitting there, oh my god! How amazing that this person who I've never met and probably never met is disinvested in this thing that just came. You know that I wrote three in the morning. I'm sorry, I would have written that sentence differently. Um, (laughs) It was well. That's that's really interesting. Go on. Yeah. yeah, No, this is. I mean, it's it's just a. uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, people have been very kind and very sort of accepting, but it's. I mean, it's a. I understand because you're hitting an audience. Batman is such an interesting audience, and I'm one of them, so I get it. But um, everyone, when when people buy a Vision book, everyone who comes to Vision, ninety percent of them are buying the book because they want to buy Tom King's Vision, kind of. You know, like they're buying the book to read my story. Yes. Um, okay. Same with Sheriff and Lord knows Omega Man. Those three people. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Uh, but people buy Batman just because it's Batman. They're not. They're Absolutely. not. They're not buying it for for Tom King's Batman or for that story. They're just like, I'm a dude who buys Batman, and I'm buying it, and I'm going to find out what's inside. So it's a complete. And I emphasize it. I empathize with that. Um. So they get inside, and they have their own sort. Of, everyone has preconceptions of Batman because he's a. First of all, he's he's everything to everybody, and if you turn and and, and you can turn up the seriousness, and you can turn it up too much. Then you kind of get mopey Batman looking in the corner of like I'm serious and and but if and then you can turn up the silliness but if you turn that too much you get shark repellent ray you know so you're kind of like adjusting those two dials constantly trying to find yeah. some perfect man but everyone's like no you need like this is the you know it's like it's like it's like you're the treble in the bass on your um and you get in a car like everybody wants it just a little bit differently and those two turns like the silliness to the seriousness ratio um and you it's impossible to please everyone with it. You know, you're, but uh, at least I don't know, man. At least it's beautiful. I know Finch drew it, and Jordy. It looks, oh yeah, it looks amazing. No, I thought, I thought especially 
for a first chapter, I thought you hit every note that you should in terms of, and and the same goes with the the uh, zero rebirth issue as well before it, um, which I know you co-wrote with Scott. But I, I mean that's the thing. I think you got a good action problem for Batman to solve in both books, and um, you got the solution. And then um, I mean that's the thing. Like in in the first issue, and it's has nothing to do with the bigger. Well, it does, I guess, in, in a, to a degree because it introduces the the counterweight of what your first arc will be about in terms of this new hero Gotham and his sidekick Gotham. Yeah, that's like just the last page. It's mostly just a stupid right. thing. But yeah, it's you know this this if I'm sure people again if it sold you know three hundred fifty thousand copies, I imagine a lot of people picked it up. So uh, am I am I okay to spoil? Yeah, you, no, is that all right? Spoil, spoil away. All right, yeah. So you know, crash. You know, a plane is about to crash into Gotham and everything. And it did it have uh, weapons on it? Did it have nukes on it or whatever? No, it was just a normal passenger jet that you fly into Gotham. And it's out of control, and it's a like you said, a passenger plane. How does a non-powered superhero like Batman stop something like that? I mean, it's so obvious that a flying hero, and in fact, one of the passengers say, "Christ, if we lived in Metropolis or some other city, some hero would come and fly and just be able to, you know, make, land the plane safely, and we'd be okay." We got fucking Batman, great, fucking Gotham. And as you said, we again, this was might have been in the conversation that got erased, uh, but I know you've said it as well in. Uh, the pre-press for for your first arc that uh, you know you tell it in terms of Batman's relationship to the city of Gotham. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, the question I asked or I, I started with was sort of like, why is Batman the hero that Gotham deserves? Like that, it just it seems like Gotham gets the short end of the stick there. They don't get uh, a Green Lantern, they don't get a Superman. They get this sort of unpowered dark sort of hero and i mean you could think like oh gotham's a crappy place and so they get this sort of this harder type of hero but maybe that's not true maybe gotham deserves something better maybe even batman thinks that gotham deserves something better um and so i I started out with just a basic challenge like again yeah if a plane was heading down into metropolis or heading down into central city um there would be someone to catch it but in gotham there's no one to catch it there's batman and he has to find a way to do it and to spoil the crap out of it, the only way he finds to do it is to, uh, in, in a way where he can save all the passengers, but he can't save himself. Um, and so he has, he sacrifices himself for the city and he's ready to do that. He's ready to die for it. And I, and I think that's what makes Batman insane is that he, that he risks that death in a way that Superman and Wonder Woman don't. And, um, and, and then he gets saved at the last second, but he has to deal with that knowledge that to, to take on those kind of threats, he could die. And if he dies, you know, obviously like Dick Grayson will take his place and then Dick Grayson will die and all that will be on his pill. I mean, so maybe got, maybe, maybe Gotham city deserves something better than what he can provide. And that's a tough, that's a tough thing for Batman because I mean, his whole life is dedicated to making Gotham city safe. And we get, uh, like you said, last, the last page we get introduced to Gotham and Gotham Girl. Gotham and Gotham Girl. Oh man, that guy in half hour rent, he was going off on Gotham and Gotham. These are the most unoriginal names I've ever heard of. Gotham and Gotham Girl. <laughs> I was like, God, oh, he's got a point. They're fairly unoriginal. I don't know. I liked it. Gotham Girl. I like it's got it. some alliteration in it. It sounded kind of silly to me. It sounded like well, something ripped- Otto Bender would come up with. <laughs> Binder. <laughs> no, yeah, um, I was told, it, is it Bender? Or, it, Bender. It is Bender. Bender, Otto Bender. It sounded very DC, Otto Bender. No, it, did, no, it isn't exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's a 180 from Batman in terms of, no, uh, clearly he is going to represent some sort of positive 
as you say, given what you've described and everything, that maybe he will represent this Gotham can be a metropolis, can be a utopia city, if, if you know, we think about it these ways, and he might be the guy that could provide uh, that kind of feeling about the city and everything. If he's, uh, you know, as good as his powers seem to suggest, he and Gotham Girl, we'll see. Yeah. I, dude, yeah, don't, you know. Nothing goes don't well. Let, don't let, don't let Facebook video guy get in your head. No, because... I like Facebook video guy. We're friends now. I'm going to friend him. Did you really? No. Did, have you, have you, did you? Because, you know, the, um, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a guy out there who is a very strong, uh, has a very strong opinion on Avengers books. He hated Bendis's Avengers run <laughs> with a passion, has written um, uh, trade paperbacks that are uh, critiques of the entire history of uh, the Avengers and is happy to point this one chapter that says this is where Bendis gets everything wrong. And that's fine. It's it's an opinion. But I mean, just the level of disgust and anger. And I've seen it too with, you know, the X-Men. I mean, Brian Brian was going through the same shit with the X-Men. Now, I'm not a big X-Men fan. I could care less. And I and I know there are just, as you say, and, and certainly Batman is the same way as well, that I think readership, you know, there are rules and, and whatever. And, you know, Nick is getting the same kind of shit for this first chapter of this Captain America story where it's like, you can't do that. And it's like, Fuck you. I could do it. You know, that's fine if you don't like it, but it's only the first 20 pages. That's right. Maybe you'd like to read a little bit more of the story before you judge. That's all. But that's all. I mean, I mean, I, look, if this 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 <laughs> random Facebook person I'm talking about read my comic book and then got to do a, do a half hour rant on Facebook, he probably had some friends, he had some arguments on it. I feel like he his hatred and he got entertainment out of that. Like he spent some time in his mind. On that's that true. Book. Good idea, good point of view. And, I like and, it, and and I feel that's what comics are about because I read more comics when I read a comic book that I dislike, and I get to go on with all my nerd friends and complain about that comic book. It's the most fun I have in comics. I understand. Part part, part of comics is complaining about it, and and uh, and to just to, to stand up here and be like, oh, people are complaining. Though I was like, no, nah, no, nah, that's just that's that's the fun of it. That's what that's. I mean, it's like going to a base. A, uh, Sure. So going to a basketball game and you, you want to boo. Sometimes you want to cheer for your team and sometimes it's fun to boo, you know, and it's okay that it's sometimes oh, fun to boo. No, you're right. And I, and I'll, I, I understand it. The level of disgust that I had for, for the new 52 <laughs> reached a point where it was entertaining for me to just go, yeah, this sucks shit. And I'm happy to be, you know, funny about it. No, I get that. I, I, I do understand that. Um, like I said, my, my only thing is if it's a first chapter, it's like, okay, the likelihood is, the to, the way to I think attract one of the ways to attract attention is to upset the status quo, and and go left when everyone is expecting you to go right, and go wait a minute this well this doesn't normally happen in a Batman story what the fuck, well okay yeah that got your attention let's see where this goes I mean that's uh, this is where Rebirth is going to come in handy because we only have to wait two weeks to find out the next chapter and learn more about Gotham and Gotham Girl. except you know what I just found this out today you have to find out three weeks before Batman two because. June is a five- motherfucker. What? June is a five-week <laughs> month. It's one of these weird. I don't, I don't know if people know this about comic books, but you know, usually it's it, they calculate them as as there's a rotation of four weeks, right? Um, but because you know, uh, skip week, the calendar is not a, because months are you know it's 31 days as opposed to 28. Every once in a while, you get one of these five-week months, and this happens to be a five-week month. 
So there's a skip week in this thing. So it's going to be three weeks. Wow. Comes out after July 4th, July, I think really July 5th or something. I know it was really peed because I really, I really, I mean, I love the, the first one's my favorite issue, but I, the second one is, is a ton of fun. And I get to be, I get to, I get to do a little funny, I get to do funny stuff, which is so much fun to do that stuff in Batman. Um, cause I never get, I, I, I like to do huge sense of humor stuff and do the stretch those muscles. I understand and I look forward to seeing what you're going to do. Now is, will we get more, obviously we'll get more into Gotham and Gotham Girl and what they represent and we'll get to know a little bit more about them? Yeah, yeah. Um, in the coming issues, well, you'll, in two you'll get a little bit more and then three you'll get a little bit more and then um, it, Finch is on for the first five and the, and I don't know if I can announce who's going to be on. It's a six, I was going to It's ask. a six-issue arc. It's, it's, a, it's an A-list. We have a very A-list artist who's doing the issue six but i don't think i'm allowed to announce it yet okay um, no and he's already drawn it it's beautiful excellent so uh but yeah so so the whole the whole like i said new 52 tonight one of the nice things about it is we're not dragging along stories man we're giving you a big story real quick so this is a huge epic story and you're gonna and, and it'll be over by august so very cool and finch is liking uh you know the collaboration so far yeah he tells me he likes it. Who knows? He's a Canadian. So he's very polite. You never can tell. <laughs> uh, it's tough working. You know, I had Michael Walsh on Vision. I've worked with Canadians and Tom Fowler, although he's a little more honest for a Canadian. Um, but they're just they're, they're very kind, very apologetic people. And Fowler uh, kills. And you, you, you kind of. But yeah, he seems like he he seems like he likes it. I'm I'm good. I'm um I'm doing my best to write to his strength. I, Finch, there's a certain part of comics, and it's sort of a vocal, uh, vocal part of comics that doesn't like Finch for some reason. I think he's just, just like he's kind of associated with very muscular '90s comics, and they just kind of repelled from that because there was just so much, you know, basically sexism involved in those comics or something. Interesting. I never heard that. I never heard that critique of him. I loved his Moon Knight with Bendis and yeah, I'll do New Avengers. I have a New Avengers. New Avengers was Finch great. Page sure. on my wall, um, and 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 so uh, I don't know. This, I, I love his stuff and it's beautiful. And I feel like sometimes uh, I, I hope people aren't come to don't have that impression. Come to Batman because he's doing different things here. He's he's stretching his style, and he's also we we got Jordy Blairigan from Vision on colors. And usually Finch is kind of rendered and sort of computerized, and Jordy doesn't color that way. She sort of flattens him out, so you can sort of see the the line work. He, he draws the best backgrounds and draws more lines than anybody in comics, with maybe the exception of Jim Lee. And I said that as a maybe, um, and so you get to see more of like the details of what he can do, and he's amazing. I mean, in, in the first issue, he he transforms. There's there's one scene where he's doing Bob Kane, and another scene he's doing Mike Mignola, and another scene he's doing Frank Miller, and another scene he's doing Jim Lee. I mean, the guys can do what he can do everything. Now, I, I'm a I'm a big fan, and and one of the hallmarks of the New Fifty Two was having him on a Batman book. I think uh, I think he's a great match for Batman, and I really felt like uh, in this first issue that he really captured a lot of the dynamic action that you want in that kind of scene. I mean, that's the thing. It really, I really felt like that plain situation played like a good pre-credits James Bond kind of situation. Dude, that's exactly what I wanted it to be. That, I mean, that was my exact attention. I wanted this to be a pre-credit James Bond sequence where we just get a huge action scene and you get to see the character at his best. And we'll yeah, start, and, 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 and the story. Well, and 
Now, again, this was in the aborted conversation that we had about uh, the first the the issue you co-wrote with Scott and everything. And now I'm forgetting his name, the character from We Are Robin, Duke Thomas. Duke Thomas, yes, Mr. Thomas. So I fought hard that he's going to be called Mr. Thomas. I like I like that Batman calls him Mr. Thomas, and he calls Batman Mr. Batman, which I like as well. <laughs> Mr. Thomas, Mr. Batman. So, will Duke be in the book a lot? Uh, so the way we're playing Duke is. Uh, we didn't want him to just like show up and become Batman's part partner because that seems sort of unrealistic in terms of who Batman, I don't know, Batman doesn't immediately trust someone enough to, to go out with them on every patrol. Absolutely. He doesn't want another Jason Todd situation. Doesn't want another Jason Todd situation. And, um, and I, as a kid, I liked uh, what we did with Tim when Tim was in the cave for a year. Yes. Sort of preparing and, and, and getting ready. And so that's what we're going to do with, with Duke where he's in the cave, he's with Alfred, he's watching, he's, he's training and the story of his training and how he sort of evolves into someone Batman may or may not trust. That's Scott Snyder's story that he's telling an all-star Batman, all-star Batman. I don't know why I said that weird. All-star Batman, all-star Batman. Um, ASB, ask Batman. Um, <laughs> I like it. And um, so that, once Ulster Batman runs its, I can't say that word anymore. I had this from college once. I was a philosophy major and I couldn't say the word philosophical. I said philosophical. I was like, this idea really has a lot of philosophical implications. And my teacher was like, get out, get out of my class. I was like, what? There's a ton of philosophical <laughs> implications. We're done talking, sir. Um, uh, so that his story, the story of his training and whether or not Batman will, will, will trust him or what role he will play or what his superhero name will be is is the story of all-star batman okay and for my arc he's going to start off for the for this first year i'm doing a, uh, for the first year i'm doing a trinity uh trilogy of stories uh all of which will feature one big bad bad guy and uh who hasn't been revealed yet and won't be revealed for a little while okay although there are hints, there are hints in the first issue of course and uh and but so it'll be it'll be three free strand standing trades you can pick up any of them and they'll read just by themselves or you can pick them up all three kind of like the star wars movies where you can watch anyone <laughs> and uh and the first one draws and finish and the second one's drawn by michael yanin who was my artist on grayson and who drew the rebirth issue and i just got his first pages in and they're so good he's a, he's a crazy good storyteller oh my god they're, people are gonna die when they come back in the comic and also by reading it uh and, uh, and then Finch comes back for the last one, for the climax, when we're doing what I'm trying to make the biggest, the greatest ba battle in Batman's life, the greatest fight that he's ever encountered. Um, Very cool. Now, you just revealed uh, your artist. Did you want to do that or not? Oh, yeah. For yeah. The it's, it's out there. Mikkel. Mikkel Yanin. Oh, okay, because I thought you were no, 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 concerned thought, about no, so, so the way it works is... Oh, so that one single issue is not going to be by Mikkel. It's going to be not Finch, but some other A-list. That's right. That's exactly it. And now I'm with English, you. Yeah, that'll be the end of the uh, I, the first I am Gotham arc. That'll be got six. it. Yeah, interesting. Sort of all an, right, an epilogue. The way the way all all the arcs are working is it'll be a five page story with the main artist, and then a one five page a five issue arc with the main artist, and then a one issue epilogue where I get to do. I love one and dones. If you follow my career, I, I love writing those. Uh, Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do them well. Absolutely. That's what Batman one was basically a one and done. Indeed, and so so I, I one of my things going into Batman is I really wanted to have 
opportunities to write those. And so I get to write these epilogue issues where I get to sort of stretch that and sort of say, look what you can do with the form in one issue. Look at the stories you can tell. You know, I'm, re I'm really glad. I just talked to Van Lenti about this as well because he did it with Weird Detective, uh, his his new Dark Horse series that just got started. Um, I really think it's important to do that. Now, even with the established characters, um, to give somebody a satisfying first issue read and go, okay, this is what we're doing. We've come to an end of a story of sorts. Granted, there is the mystery of Gotham to contend with in, in the first issue of Batman, if you want to continue. But if you just wanted a 20-page, hey, here's Batman in a, in a death situation and stuff, you got it. You got a, you got a full story. And I think that's great. And I think, again, I think that's necessary to justify the the issue cost these days. And it's like, yeah, you you better give me a goddamn ending. And, and, and also, again, this is why I appreciate um, the double shipping that DC is going to do and that stories will wrap up faster. Because, yeah, I think those are the two those are the two problems of uh, the big two is what did you give me in a first issue? What do you give me in issues you know if it's a five issue arc you know two through five uh you know better be satisfying reads and i th and again i think you really are doing that and like and uh, vision and sheriff are perfect examples of that but i mean that's the thing it's like I, you know they people say oh i'm not writing for the trade it's like look if i came in in the middle of the scene and i'm leaving in the middle of the scene still and i and i'm just kind of gotten this what i mean it was it was one thing to get it back in the in the 70s and 80s <laughs> I, I don't know how it plays today. And again, it's like, it's just too crowded of a, of a market out there. So I got to feel like I really got my money's worth in each issue. And I, and I really think this first issue, like I said, it's, this is what we're doing. You've come to the end of this story. If you want to continue, great. You've got a mystery to follow with the, you know, Gotham and Gotham girl. And if not, well, at least I gave you a full Batman story. Yeah. If, if you read my stuff on Vision and Sheriff, I think you see that hopefully each issue is self-contained and there's always like a beginning, middle and end to each issue. It's like not just leading between two chapters. I think so. Um, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very conscious of that, of sort of trying to make it so that when you get to the final page, you get some sort of sense of conclusion, even if it's a to be continued kind of conclusion. Sure. But yeah. And we, good stuff. Man. You have to do that. Yeah. Batman. You have to do. Well, so I want to go, I want to go back to this pricing thing. Because I, I, I have I have different views on this too, and I, we, we can me. talk it through. So it's two ninety nine for twenty pages, as opposed to three ninety nine for twenty two pages, which is what Grayson was. So, like percentage wise, you're doing a little better. But then you have then you have the double ship, so you're getting forty pages for six, for six bucks. bucks, as opposed yeah. to forty four pages for eight bucks. Agreed, but it, but it comes out more often. So I, I, my idea was at least when I was a comic book collector is like, you, you, you're not picking up what you're getting with Batman instead of getting you're just instead of it being one book where you're paying for it twice a month. What you're getting is two books, right? It just happens to be you get two books that happen to be Batman with high quality characters and high quality artists. That's how I think of it. I agree. No, no, no. I agree. And further, when when both companies were kind of flirting with a, a, a more expensive book. It was like, hey, guess what? We got an eight-page backup of Schmo. And it's like, yeah, but I don't give a fuck about Schmo. I bought Batman to read goddamn Batman. I mean, again, I mean, that's, you know, and, and there and have in been a lot of Schmoes in Batman's history. <laughs> if you go back to the Bronze and Silver Age, they yes. was like, um, they had a horribly racist Indian detective for a long time running in the back of Batman. I don't remember that character. And they had a, like, is that Scalp Hunter or who? No, Powwow Smith, I think. 
Powell Smith, of course. Now it's funny because with Weird Detective uh, with Van Lenti, I brought up Roy Raymond. <laughs> That's right. Or no, I didn't. Was it with? No, it wasn't with Van Lenti. It was with Brad with Meltzer uh, with his novel. And I'm like, because his his novel's uh, character, her father, uh, had a TV show in the same way that Roy Raymond's uh, conceit was as a TV detective. He had like a believe it or not kind of show, odd but true. I think it was what, what it was called. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean, no, you're right. And again, that was back when comics were ten cents. Sure. But and, been and doing 60, it. you know, forty eight pages or sixty four pages and stuff. So you know, that's okay. It's okay. But well, I there's mean, no, there, that will not be done. We're sticking with two ninety nine for a whole year and hopefully beyond that. I, I think two ninety nine. I don't. I don't paying four bucks for comics seems like too much for me. It always has. Although I like twenty. I like twenty two page comics. I like having those extra two pages. I miss them. Sure. No, I understand that, and I, and I mean, I have to admit too, it's like I got used to three ninety nine, um, but the thing is, you know, again, meanwhile, across down the street, if not across the street, uh, at Image, you know, hey, I'm doing my creator own book, and guess what? It's three fifty, and that first trade, if you're like kind of curious and stuff, ten bucks, yeah. which I think is brilliant, and I think necessary to get people in the front door. That's right, and 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 I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you. Both the big two have the advantage of I've come for an Avengers story. I know the Avengers. I like what I see. I want more of this than what I'm getting on on uh, cartoons or feature films or television. Great, we've got that for you, and and here it is. Okay, but uh, you know, I mean, and again, maybe they can afford to charge a little bit more. We'll see. We'll see. I just think it's it's a very interesting time, and and I agree with you. Forty pages for six dollars. That's no, a good deal. That's a, it's a very good deal, and also the fact that because it's double shipping, you know, like you said, the story's going to wrap up in August. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think I think the challenge for us is we don't want you paying uh, two two ninety nine to get Finch and King, on, and then the next issue it's um, you know I, I I co-write it with someone you've never heard of, and the artist is someone you've never heard of who can't draw yeah. like that, and 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 it's inked by six people. And you lose the quality. Like, like it's it's on us to be like, okay, this is as good as a comic book can be, and it's three dollars, you know. So we have to be ahead of our deadlines, and we have to be in touch with our artists, and have the best inkers lined up, and the, and a colorist who can work fast, and all that stuff, so that you're getting, so that you're not you're not picking up a comic and a half when you should be picking up two comics. Who's inking Finch? Uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> Finch is so hard to ink that we have a few people on. Uh, okay, but it's starting out with Matt Banning and then uh, Danny Mickey's picking it up, so they're, they're, okay. they're then, sort of taking they're sort of taking turns those two. Danny, and and those is, are the two best in the business. So and is Jordy going to color everything, including um, the epilogue issues as well? Yes, Jordy's going to color everything, and then I think uh, we're going to jump June uh, Chung. I read her name right. She did the colors. She's Jay Lee's colorist, and she's brilliant. And she did the colors for Rebirth, and she's going to do the colors with uh, Mikkel. Okay. So, okay. so it'll, it'll it'll be that, and I love her colors on Mikel. I think again, I, I don't know. I'm, I, the older I get, the less I like sort of computerized colors, and I like sort of simpler, uh, where where the, a flatter colors for better term of it. Where you, well, I think I think they're trends. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, computer color was such an innovation when it first came out, and so few people did it well that it was exciting when when somebody was really doing it well. And I mean, got cross gen. That's that's where all that great coloring came from and everything. I think. Oh yeah, and and I, I when I was in, I loved that stuff, man. When Captain like everyone hated when Captain America had the shield that was made out of lasers or whatever and waves run. 
uh, when he lost his shield at the bottom of the ocean and they made it like a computerized effect. I was like, that is yes, the coolest yes. thing I'd ever seen when it came out. Um, but it just, as I get older, I like, I, I just like, I like to see the art. I like to see the scratches of the pencil. Yes. I don't know. No, I agree it's with just you. Like a, maybe because you just know how much effort's put into it or something. And if everything's too shiny and bulbousy and just, it, it gets too much for me. I agree with you. No, I agree with you. And, um, no, I think, like I said, I think I think I'm Vince is an old man whining and complaining about old age. Well, I, you know, hey man, uh, it's it's fair to examine a book from top to bottom and want quality in, in everything down to the lettering, and I think that's well, we that's terrific. on Batman. We have John Workman, who's the best letterist I've ever worked with. Uh, who he he edited Legend. Yeah, and uh, and he still hand does it. He's like the last yep. one in the world who hand does it. Yep. Um, and that was very important to me to get him on there and sort of get that. If, I mean, nobody's gonna even notice this, but but you get an old school feel from his things because it doesn't look like someone just did it in a word document. It it looks like it feels much more organic. Uh, I hear you, man. So I, I love John's work on the, on the book. I'm impressed. Can I say I, that? I, really... I like the issue. Fucking Facebook guy. <laughs> Don't let him get in your head. I'm telling you, you're doing good. No, it's. I think it's. A, I think it's a great mystery. I look forward to the contrast that might be coming or likely is coming with Gotham and Gotham Girl compared to the way Batman does things. There were so many and, shout out. I'm going to interrupt you because I just want to talk. Please. Uh, there were so many shout outs, old Batman stuff in the first issue, uh, which I, I'm trying not to talk about, but I want I want people to notice them. We did. Did you see that when he flies the plane? He flies it to. He flies it through the finger and cane buildings. Yes. He's yes. literally reborn through the. I was so proud of that little detail. <laughs> two creators as he comes through their legs and gets born again that's hilarious uh, and it starts out with a plane descending which is this which is how uh uh year one starts out with the, the plane landing and um oh that's funny i didn't i didn't make that association sure and there's a line that's taken directly from batman one which is taken verbatim in in the book um which i don't know why people from which batman from, one? the original from, yeah batman 1940 one? batman one um I read, I read. Well, you got to tell us now. Go no, on. I'm not going to say. People have to do their own damn research. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I went back to Batman 1. I was like, I want, and I read through. I was like, I want to take something out of this and put it in new Batman 1 just to sort of pay a tribute to it. That's terrific. That is an excellent uh, first issue. Granted, you know, certainly it was two years after or a year after Detective uh, 27 had come out. It's the best first but, issue in the history of comics. Uh, it's certainly one of them because I uh, I bought that Treasury Edition reprint of it. Back in the seventies, I mean that's I got to tell you, man, and I and I've said this before. I, I really feel fortunate um, growing up when I did because there were so many reprints of Golden Age and Silver Age stories sure. in the in the sixties and seventies, and I read them without any hindsight attitude of well, <laughs> this is shit. Yeah, you had no <laughs> idea. Yeah, when I was a kid, I had no. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah, and I and honestly, they read really well. And Batman, Batman one, I think. Probably still does, except for perhaps when he's rubbing the makeup off of Catwoman's face and says, "Quiet or Papa Spank." Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there, there are some moments. There are some. Moments. But yeah, the, but the Joker Catwoman, is never more Joker, deadly. Two Joker stories. He yep. dies in the first one and comes back by the end of the issue. See, that's that's balls. <laughs> yeah, that's balls. Uh, no, it's great, and just Jerry Robinson at his best, and uh, I'm assuming Bill Finger at his best. I'm guessing that's who wrote that first issue. I love that issue. I, I have Batman Seven. I managed. I, I convinced myself to pay a lot of money for Batman Seven. I found it at a convention. Uh, 
Which what's in Batman Seven? It's you know generic Batman stories, but the cover is Batman punching somebody in the face with Robin shoving his face into the guy's took us. Um, <laughs> but I love it. Robin, get out of there, old chum. Anything else? And it, it 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 gives me the fact that I'm running Batman and I look at that book and that's been around and you know you take it out and you smell it and you just you feel you know kids whose dads are fighting in World War Two you know sending you know reading this book. And, like this exact Absolutely. copy of it, you're like, that's insane. It's amazing that, that, that we're all connected to these stories for 75 years. You know, I, I think about Jeff Johnson, what he get, what he understood about the characters and stuff. You go back to that first year of Robin, and Robin is having the best time. <laughs> he really is, yeah. He, he's always got a smile on his face, and he is just loving the action. Yeah. And I think that is so great. You know, that that's, that's why Dick Grayson as you know, is such a positive character. Even through even through all the shit that he's put through, it's just like he's an optimist. Yeah. And that's the difference between him and Batman and stuff. Batman's like, oh, it's evil and someone's got to do this job, it's me. And and Dick is, uh, I think, just, the, like I said, this eternal optimist. Yeah, I was at a, I went to dinner with Mark Wade, which was crazy. He's like, do you want to go to dinner? I was like, oh, yes. He's like, you don't plan it. I was like, whatever I had, they're canceled. We're going to dinner. <laughs> And it was, was this in DC? Was, the DC, it was the DC shot, right? with with uh, Christina Blunt and, um, and and Paul Paul Jenkins. I'm not t- talking out of school, but it was just an amazing dinner to talk to them about all the their experiences. They're all my friends. Go on, uh, amazing people, and so nice, and so nice to me in particular. Um, but anyways, he, he he Mark put me through the ringers of like you know he like he's like all right let's play nerd let's play nerd, let's play nerd games you know he's like okay <laughs> what kind of nerd games Go you know he's, he's 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 like you know what's what's the best your the not the best comic book you've ever read but the one that most affected you you know like like that comic and then he's like okay and he's like okay if Dick Grayson didn't uh, had never parents didn't die what did he do like what did he do for a living. I was like, under such pressure with Mark Wade staring at me. I'm like, I've him for two years. I got to come up with something. <laughs> he does look at my face like, mm-hmm, Mr. Grayson Rainer. How well do master- you know this character? And I was like, uh. This is like master chess play. Go on. And I was like, I was like, I, I, I think he would have stayed in the circus. He's like, I don't see it. I was like, no, I missed it. Really? What, is, what was Mark's uh, point of view he, on that? Uh, what, what did he have, like? Uh, something about saving the world or something, and I think with the two of us agreed that maybe politician was the way he would go on. Because I was, I was like, I feel there's a public aspect to him. He wants people to look at him while he's performing. He's an entertainer at heart, and he's like, I, I, I could see that. I totally see that. What did Jenkins? What did Jenkins say? I don't, say about I don't remember what Jenkins said. Well, we had, we had good. Well, yeah, can I have uh, more bread, please? Yeah. <laughs> But it was embarrassing because he's like he was asking us like who's your Superman when Mark Wade asks you who you're he knows Superman's social security number by heart. True. Um, and I was like, who's your, who is your Superman? Who's whose version of Superman is your? Superman? In complete honesty, I told him I, I didn't have a Superman. I did. I mean, no. He, I think he was asking like what I would do with Superman, sort of that ah. question. And I was, ah. I was, I was like, I don't like. I was like, I don't know. Like, I have to. For me, I have to write a character to figure out who they are. I mean, I mean, I know in my head what they are to me, but until I write it, I can't, I don't know what, when, when you write, you can't just like say, okay, this is what I'm going to do and then write what you're going to do. It might, like, I don't work that way. I have to like sort of organically write it and then see what the character is saying and sort of relate to it that way. So I was like, well, that's the one, go ahead. No, 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 no. That, that's, that's pretty much the end of that stupid thought. Well, I was going to, I was going to say that that is the interesting wrinkle of DC rebirth in that we have the pre flashpoint, Crisis on Infinite Earth Superman, Earth One Superman. Yes. 
that enters this new world that no one else knows and they have to reestablish these connections it reminds me of uh the earth 2 golden age superman in infinite crisis when he shows up at the Batcave, and I, I've told Jeff Johns this before as well, it's one of my favorite scenes he's ever written, where Earth-1 Batman has no idea who this guy is, and Golden Age Superman is like, Bruce, I know you don't know who I am, but I also know you're the one man I can trust in this world, because you've always been that to me. And it's like, yes! And I, you, you want to cry, because it's like, yes, that's what these guys are! And, <laughs> and now you've got the same... It's interesting how they've uh, repositioned the... Uh, you know, this Superman to represent that same kind of thing of, I know none of of you know who I am, but I know all of you and we're going to be fine. And, 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 you know, it's just, that's really interesting. And I, and I think it energizes Superman uh, in a very positive way without taking anything away from him the way they did in the new 52 version. And again, I don't, who knows where this, that story is going, but at least that's my initial impression of what's going on i mean i know where the story is going i talked to pete about it and i can i agree with you um i i, I love that idea i and at first i was against it i ought to be perfectly honest like when they pitched it to me i was like wait we're all doing rebirth but it's it, superman is going to be the old superman isn't that going to be confusing for everybody like that's a hard thing for a new reader to come like oh no he's a superman from another universe who has a kid and this is, and but there was another super. It's just a lot for a new reader to have to gargle before they read their comics. <laughs> um, and I like the imagery of them gargling. Yeah, just like, uh, <laughs> all this. Uh, Superman's in the, in the in between my teeth. It's yeah. gross, man. Give me a toothpick. Uh, but then, like I, I, I read it. I was, I was, I was totally wrong because I. Uh, what's good about Superman? First of all, just the costume redesign is such a big step in the right direction. Absolutely, my God, yes. Like he just that, that, I'm looking at weird, it right now. I've got a weird color. I've got and, go ahead, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. I mean, it was such. A, it's just better having him with an with you know with the, with the S hanging down and the collar looking correct. I don't know why that that collar bothered me so much. Just that little weird. Isn't it? Isn't that crazy? You're right. I mean, I forget. I think it was Heath Corson at C2E2. Is like we need to see Superman's neck, and I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I don't, yeah but, it is like, weird. It's one of those some symbolic little things. And like, and it goes for my kids, too. My kids, you know, they read these little border books with Superman, and then they see that Superman. It's just such small details. They're like, what's wrong with Superman? It's because, it's it, you know, to me, it's like because the clothes look alien, and it looks like he's – and somehow subtly it gets into my head that he's kind of like embracing his Kryptonian self over his Earth self, which I've never thought of Superman as doing. Like he always has – The 52 version. Yeah, the 52, the 52 version. version. I've always thought of Superman as sort of like – I mean, he's got pride in his Kryptonian heritage, but in his heart, he wants to be human. He's yeah. human, yeah. He's he's yes. one. He's he's one of us. He's the best of us. And also, I don't understand. I, I I and I get kind of angry when people are like, "Yeah, the underwear outside the pants make no sense." And it's like, really, are you that stupid? Have you never seen acrobats? Have you never? It's and again, maybe this is my age and stuff, but it's like, I, I I'm sorry, that's just a costume and. It's a costume conceit that goes back to the circus. It's it's not as weird or as perverse as some people make it out. And it's like, get your mind out of the gutter, dumbass. It's it's very basic. And I don't mind. I, I, I like the new design because, again, it's close enough to the old design. And it freshened it up without taking too much away. Yeah, so. I, I, and I think they got the I, – I agree with you. I missed the underwear too. But I, 
it's hard, you know, and for new readers, they think it's goofy or something. That's the theory anyways. But I mean, I'm, I'm, but if, if you can't have the underwear, it's as close as you can get, in my opinion. Well, and, it, and also that they brought yellow back uh, with the belt, too. Yeah. Because, again, it's like you're, you're changing too much. You, I really liked um, Nicholas Scott's design for the New Earth 2 Superman that, you know, before, before uh, the Earth 2 book happened and everything. So yeah, I like that too. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was I thought that was a much better design than than what uh, the new Fifty Two Superman was, and it was it didn't have underwear outside, and it again it incorporated more yellow in the belt. So. I mean, I mean, there are benefit. I mean, there are benefits to the old one, I suppose, but I like the new one better. Um, and and I, and oh, I, I like and it. I, I like this. I like. The, I just I enjoy the story they're telling because yes, because Superman should be a father figure, and just to make him an, a father, make him have history, and make him understand. I don't know. I, I like it. I like. I, I agree. It, it makes like, to, to me, Superman shows up in a story, and it's awe inspiring, right? Like, exactly. When, when, he's the first hero. He's the first. He hero. has more experience. Has, yeah, exactly. And you and, and all the other heroes are like, okay, the best of us is here. Like, like when Superman shows yep. up, that's what happens. And when you and when you put his origin along the same line as everybody else, and it's kind of don't ask me. I got here at the same time you did to the party. I don't know what the fuck to do. You've taken away the essence of Superman. No, I agree. Absolutely. When when Kurt Swan. And Murphy Anderson or Tex Blaisdell or, or some of these others from the Bronze Age would draw Superman. He looked like to me, he looked like he was in his forties. <laughs> he really did as a kid. I mean, he looked like he looked like my dad, and that's why I'm like, all right, you know, that's fine, whatever. I, I accepted it, um, and and I I appreciate what Byrne did when he de-aged him and kind of made him like 29 or whatever, and that was okay. And it worked for its time and stuff. Well, and again, Byrne draws so beautifully. It doesn't even matter. Like, so classic Superman. It doesn't even matter. That's true. And also, just the essence of the character hadn't changed. Yeah. I mean, all they did was just de-age him a little bit. They, they took, like, ten years off of him or whatever. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I like him. And, really, when uh, Jurgen started that Lois and Clark miniseries before Rebirth and everything, I'm like, there he is. There's fucking Superman. Yeah, Christ, I missed you. Where the hell have you been? Good. Yeah, man. No, it's... It's I and I'm I'm really curious in terms of what the plan was prior to rebirth because I know they changed they tweaked a few things. I'm assuming they did. I mean it just seemed like uh things changed and obviously they did because Pete had to come in it seemed and rewrite a very different story than what Gene whatever Gene was planning. Um and although maybe maybe what Gene's doing, you know, in in New Superman is where he was going all along with this. I don't know. I, I don't know, have the answer to any of those questions. I, I'm not in the Superman. I, you know, if people don't know, DC sure. is divided into three offices: Superman, Batman, Justice League. And I, I I'm in the Justice League office because that's the Omega Man. So I know that sort of office, and I know Batman because sure. that's where I live. Uh, but I don't know the Superman office at all. So I, I, I just get a kind of glimpses from afar. Well, I'm hopefully talking to Dan in, in the next couple of weeks, so we'll see. And, I, and I'd like to talk to Pete. He's so cool. I'm, I'm, he's one of those guys I'm intimidated by when I meet him because American Born Chinese is like one of the best graphic novels in the history of the media. Oh no! Oh, you're saying oh, you're Gene. saying Gene. Oh, I thought I said Gene, not Jan. Did not say Gene? No, I, I said Dan Jurgens. Oh, Dan Jurgens. Oh, sorry, there's other Gene. Dan. I'm not intimidated yeah. by Dan Jurgens. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dan's like a friend of mine. He's cool. Dan's awesome. No, I, I, Dan is another Dan. Like, kind of, although. I don't know how many years older than Dan Dan is than me, but like I feel like the same way that I do about Mark Dematis in terms of or Dematis, uh when I see them, it's like God, it is so cool that you are happy to see me. It seems and want to talk to me 
because I, I have that fanboy kind of, man, I've just enjoyed your stories literally for 30 years. I know, right? And, and yeah, you know, and also it's so obvious that it's a different uh, Superman than what he was handed when Perez left uh, the new 52 Superman. And I actually like what George was doing with uh, the new 52 Superman. And I think I, I think he left frustrated by whatever uh, editorial was telling him that he couldn't could and couldn't do. Um, Talk about a problem also, with the new Fifty Two. They just lost so many creative teams in that first year. Like yep. it's yeah, yep. it's, really talent, really talented people that knew what they were doing for more than twenty years. And all of a sudden, you had this editorial group going, "No, we really want to go this way." And it's like you're doing it wrong. Yeah, but we're, but we're the bosses. Fine, then I'm leaving your sandbox. Good luck to you, because I can't. I, do I don't it. know what the story are behind this. I can't. I can't put a blame on someone for it. I'll just know it's sad that they had to leave. Well, and again, the good. Well, and that's why that's that's fine. I think everyone is okay, and I think the talented people have found other sandboxes to play in, and then they're doing fine. And I think um, again, I think DC re- realized the mistakes they made with uh, the last five years, and and I think they're correcting it. So you know, it it works out. It's okay. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully, we'll see how it goes. Again, yeah, yeah, no, six you're right. From now, anybody can launch good books. We we need to see if it sticks around. So I was right. excited about New Fifty Two too, and um, well, so was I. Yeah, you're right. I think I, I there was some statistical. There were like seven Green Arrow writers in the first year and a half or something. Yeah, no, I remember. I mean, Green Arrow is one of my favorite characters. Now, they didn't know what the hell to do with Green Arrow. Yeah, but now they have Ben Percy, who's a fantastic writer, and I know he's got a big plan. And so I just, I mean, they're they're fixing. They they saw what went wrong, and they're getting their sure. Lemire, hey, you got to hand Lemire did a great job with Green Arrow while he was doing. He it. sure did. Then he abandoned ship to go to Marvel. The best. Yes, he did. The best, which writes. Awesome. Oh well. <laughs> And Valiant as well. Oh, and Valiant, yeah, he runs it. You know, it's interesting. No, it's interesting. Um, yeah, even those backup stories that I was shitting on, I have to. I was, I was planning on saying, you know, Lemire's Adam story was excellent. It's just that it was in the back of, I think it was Superboy. I forget where the hell it was in the back of. But that's the thing. It's like, all right, you know. I mean, I love the Adam. It's like, well, why can't this just be its own series? This is a good story. I'm, I'm interested in where that goes with uh, the Adam and Ryan Choi. I know where that's going to go, and it's going someplace cool. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. I know that. too much about comic books these days. I, I love comic books. Yeah. But how much do you know about Bing Crosby? That's the question. I know a good deal about Bing Crosby. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm a huge fan. Did you watch that American Masters? Twice. Oh, it's so depressing. I have. I, I kept it on my DVR for over a year. I know exactly how you feel. Oh, about. yeah. Bought it from iTunes. Yeah. No, uh... I know I have mixed feelings because if, I mean, if you're in the audience and you're hearing like Bing Crosby, I guarantee the first thing that went through your head was, "What does Tom beat his children? Does that why?" <laughs> oh, I just I, I feel embarrassed about it because that is that's the first thought everyone has is Bing Crosby beats his children. Like that's like the number one association yep. with this guy who was the number one pop star of the first fifty years of the twentieth century and was the number yes. one movie star of the first uh, for like ten years. Yep. And all people remember is that he beat his kids. Uh, yeah yeah and it's well it's weird and i loved hearing uh mary crosby it's you know being as you know being had two sets of kids and it seems like uh you know who knows i mean mary's there to say okay yeah he spanked his kids i liked how i forget which if it was giddens or one of the other critics is like you know that was back when capital or corporal not capital corporal (laughs) punishment was accepted and he it's not like he kept it a secret so the level of like was it was it really 
beating his kids? Was it spanking his kids? Gary was kind of Gary's yeah. not the most reliable. Yeah, this, I this think, is getting in the weeds of Bing Crosby history, but if I do have to defend yeah, I don't care. I, this is my show. I want to get into Bing Crosby. It, it all comes to Gary, Gary, his son, who who was a musician and was in trouble. trouble by alcohol and drugs, wrote a biography where he accused him of all these things. And he later recount, recounted a lot of it, recanted yes. a lot of it. Recanted, yeah. And, um, and one of his other sons said it never happened. So it's all based on something that was later recanted and disclaimed. That said, there's something going on with those first four kids because it's Abs- uh, yes they go on in, in the series they 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 posit that they had alcohol fetal alcohol poisoning you can kind of see it uh, yeah I mean that's a, God it's it really is a tragic first family in a lot of ways almost like the vision yeah uh, but, but these are real people and it's it is it is sad because yeah Bing's first wife Dixie was a massive alcoholic was they all seemed frustrated by his success. And that's and obviously too, I think Bing's lifestyle with the first family took him away, and that likely led to the kids, de- you know, drinking more, doing more drugs. I mean, no, the the four the the four original Crosby sons had really tough, tragic lives. Yeah, and I think two of them killed themselves. And yes, two, one of them died of alcohol poisoning. Yeah, they just they did not end well. Which and, and yeah, I'm also I'm reading a lot of a big biography of Frank Sinatra now. It's amazing because Frank Sinatra was. Much more of an asshole than Bing Crosby was. Like he yes. hit Ava Gardner when she was pregnant. And she had a miscarriage. That's like as evil as a thing you can do. You're right. Um, but his kids came out much better than Bing Crosby's. So maybe there's just not a one-to-one ratio of this. Well, but in that case, unlike Dixie, uh, Dixie Lee, uh, Bing's wife, I think Nancy Sinatra, uh, the wife Nancy Sinatra, yeah, was a stronger woman and really kept the family together. And I mean, at least at least they had one strong parent. Although I would say Frank Jr. pretty messed up guy, and he just passed away within the year. Yeah, he's an interesting and, guy, character. Very interesting guy. It's like and his a very sad story. Uh, Truly, you know, well, really the the kidnapping. I don't know how many of my audience knows, but Frank Jr. was kidnapped in the early '60s, right around the time, uh, right after Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah, like within six months. And I mean, it's just like, I mean, you know, there's that complicated relationship between Sinatra and Kennedy. And then like right after Kennedy dies, within a couple of months, Frank Jr. gets kidnapped. And the entire story of that is crazy in its on its own. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's no, there's that they're fascinating. And a great, like you said, and I'm glad you mentioned that with Bing, the, the reason why Bing is so amazing is, yeah, he was such an important entertainer. That literally revolutionized the music business in so many ways. It's Bing Crosby that brought over reel to reel tape, yeah, which was such a which was such a huge music innovation. And to be able to not have to record live uh, sessions with everybody playing at once and cutting a record that way on vinyl versus what happened with tape, and you could get eight track and oh, you know, I really didn't like the way the trumpeter played that part. Let's get a different trumpeter. And and little things like that that we take for granted now in in music production, that all started with Bing, bringing over going to Germany and stuff and finding the Ampex recording reel to reels that the Germans were developing and it's like, let's hey let's bring that over here. I think I want to do my radio show this way. Yeah, I, dude, I, we're, we're trying to be Crosby podcasts and be amazing, but we should acknowledge that though he was the greatest pop star, he is one of those figures that. You know, he's the, a career occurred in America over and over again where it's it was a white guy stealing 
uh, black people music and mainstreaming it. Like, well, I would not but stealing, I would, but I mean, you, yeah, I was going to say I'd, I'd kind of well, certainly drawing from it from inspiration. But you gotta you gotta give Crosby credit because he's also the guy that he's like, uh, I want Louis Armstrong in this movie. Yeah, and they're like, well, no. Because he's black and that's not going to play well in the South. He's like, well, then you don't get me for the movie. He, well, yeah, he was he was very progressive on those kind of things. So yeah, I mean, it's he came out of that kind of whites only background, but immediately, I mean, this is in the very early '30s, was pretty forward thinking about that stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, honestly, that Gary Giddens, I hope he finishes because he he's never uh, going to finish. The, he was supposed to come out ten years ago. He's not going to finish the second buyer. Yeah, well, you know, I, I I Bill Shelley, as we talked about earlier with Otto Bender. I asked him what his next project is, and he's like, you know, to really write a really good history of somebody, you've really got to want to fall in love with this guy and really commit years and years of, of research and, and figuring out where you want to go. I've heard David McCulloch say the same thing about his wonderful historical biographies and stuff. I, you know, it's – I don't know. I have a feeling that Giddens – because he just seems to be so into it. That I I, th I think we'll get the rest. I do think eventually we'll get the rest. We're in the midst of an um, amazing uh, Orson Welles uh, series of books that Simon Cowell, I want to say, not the not the, not um, um, American Idol. I find so Welles books. fascinating too. I spent you know, um, Vision's very influenced by Orson Welles stuff. Tell me how. Um, when I was trying to decide how to tell the story, I wanted to use this like third person narrative. Um, so I went, I was, I was, I was, I was basically, I like, I, I went to Neil Gaiman's Sam and I was like, well, I don't do exactly that. And I was like, doesn't the, like the, the, um, the magnificent Am Amberson starts off with some sort of narrative thing in the back of my head. And I, yes. I pulled it up on YouTube because it has the, like the most, one of the, the first 15 minutes of the magnificent Am Ambersons is like the best 15 minutes in film. Agreed. And, uh, and I pulled it up and that voice, that like confident like sort of winking, I know what's coming, I know what's going to happen, I know everything about this, but I'm just going to slowly dish it out to you in kind of an interesting way. I was like, I'm stealing that for vision. That's exactly what I want. And it was, and it was about the sub, and, and then it's a story about the suburbs of, in St. Louis. Um, so yeah, that goes right to vision. I steal that stuff. That's cool, man. I mentioned to you, and we didn't talk about it on this episode, I also loved uh, vision going through in his mind as he's being interrogated by the cop a couple issues ago. The, the various times that he saved the world. Yes, the 37 times. That's fantastic, man. That was great. No, that was great. It's uh, Now you're doing good, man. I'm telling you. We'll wrap up because I think everyone's had enough of my Sinatra and, and Bing Crosby uh, inquiries. We'll have to do that on a different podcast. Some other podcasts. So, you know, this is like when, I, when we get into old movies and stuff. But that's okay. There's a good portion of the audience that – is always interested, and I guarantee you, what was the name of that Orson Welles book? What was the name of that Bing Crosby, Gary Giddens book and stuff? I just read that the Orson Welles conversation book that came out that he did with the French director. I forget what the name was, but it was, a, it was fascinating. Just like at the end of his life, this sort of tragic Orson Welles figure talking about all these projects. It was almost like he, he turned into Don Quixote at the end of his life. He was constantly pursuing these projects that would never come out. Yeah, that will never get finished. Yeah, well, now, is that... Because now I don't know, but I know Peter Biskin was uh, did a right. Orson Welles conversation. Yeah, that, is that no, that's a about? different one. Yeah, it's a different one. There's... Okay, because then also are you, are you, and it is Wells. It's not. It's not. You're not thinking of Hitch, Hitchcock Truffaut. No, no. Although I did read Hitchcock Truffaut book recently, and that was also good. Amazing. I still haven't seen the documentary. Yeah, the documentary supposed to be good. I want to see it. I, I really want to see it. I have heard archive.org. I don't know if they still have them or not, 
but they had the original conversations. I am, I'm assuming they were made for either the BBC or French radio, but you literally hear the conversations and it's amazing because they're both speaking in their native languages and they're, so you're getting a translation of Truffaut in English and Hitchcock answering in English and then translated into French. But yeah, that was really, and especially the time that that was conducted in the early 60s, I think was a, a, a really good time to get Hitchcock as well. Because well, that's really when the TV show was really running smoothly. And that's when his movies started to kind of, not hit and miss, but you know, there was just more second level, second tier Hitchcock versus A-list Hitchcock. Yeah, I, yeah I, I agree with that. But have, you, have you read the Eisner-Miller book that's sort of based of on Of course. I, oh, absolutely. I find that fascinating too. I'd love to do that with someone someday to just, if, if I can keep up what I'm doing now, interview like a creator and do it. Sure. Well, the, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not another creator, but it is that kind of level of conversation I hope to sometimes get when uh, when I'm having a guest on Warbloom. Certainly not today. Yeah, no, not but, today. Uh, <laughs> Certainly not. No, but I was going to say the Comics Journal has some great archival stuff of, um, I know Gil Kane and uh, Robert uh, Robert Crumb have a conversation that's really interesting, well, and there's there's a panel where Bern Hogarth, the original Tarzan artist, is just disgusted with uh, what was then the current generation of, of 60s and 70s creators that he was on a panel with, and and it's yeah that shit's interesting. Or there was a Hal Foster discussion like that. I'm just reading I, a John know, Byrne interview. Um, David Price was posting on Facebook um, where he like goes off on gene colon for some reason was that oh was it old yeah it was from like 82 or something is it in print or is it on audio it was in print he was just i'll I'll, I'll forward it but um you know this is really uh comics interview comics journal uh amazing heroes really the 80s had so many really good uh magazines that that did these very in-depth interviews and um everyone was incredibly candid and it was really neat to hear them speak their mind freely about the work and what was going on and, and the market and publishers and why publishers sucked or why they were great. And it it was fantastic. And Brian Bendis and I have talked about this before, that we miss that. And I get really tired. And I was even ranting about it today on Twitter. Uh, today they announced, as we're recording, um, the uh, actor that's going to play Superman on the Supergirl TV series. That's right. And and everybody had the story at the same time and they all released it at the same time. And it made me laugh because one of the bloggers was frustrated and it's like, well, what's the point of making us all wait and, and, and release it at the same time? And I'm like, do you not see the obvious problem that all of you are just regurgitating the same press release and that it's a great little moment of clickbait interest, but what stands the test of time are interviews like this burn interview i imagine and some of these others so it's like maybe you ought to try and do a little more substance <laughs> as well as i mean i'm not saying ignore the press releases and ignore the big tv news and movie news when it happens but i just think it's okay all right you, we've got that announcement now we're going to get the five things that may or may not go wrong with uh, this guy as superman on supergirl and it's like that's all you guys do is you just you set you you rotate around these momentary stories and find 20 different ways of of empty speculation and it's like you know i get it i i do understand why they do it that way but it's like 
this is the most disposable form of journalism that I'm aware of. And it's 90% of what you people put out there. And I just think it's so dumb. You need more in-depth interviews about Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra comparisons. <laughs> Comics cannot thrive without Tom King's opinion. I want to know what Tom King thinks about Yes, Aaron. about Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby. That's fucking in-depth, asshole. You're goddamn right. That's hilarious. You're killing me. That's good. I'm glad you pulled my pants down like that, Tom. I needed that. I deserve that. It's, been a it's very time. funny. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> we should end it right there. That was good. I'm, I'm going to end it right there. That was excellent. excellent. Here you go. Just as I get righteous, Tom King puts me back in my place. That's okay. I deserve it. Good conversation with Tom. Really looking forward to the uh, continuing runs on Vision, Sheriff of Babylon, and of course Batman. And we will check in with Tom uh, months down the road and uh, see how things are going. But thanks a lot for listening today. I thought it was another great conversation, and I'm glad you were able to listen to it. Word Balloon is brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are tremendous deals happening now at InStock Trades on very interesting books. How about the Vertigo release? Dark Knight, a true Batman story, the real story of uh, Paul Dini uh, when he got attacked in uh, the 80s. And um, uh, Eduardo Riso brings this book to life. And it uh, is, a, as he's, as uh, Paul describes it, a true Batman story. Very interesting graphic novel. 50% off, just $11.49. You can get How to Talk to Girls, Neil Gaiman. Uh, how to Talk to Girls at Parties. Uh, the brothers, Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon, helping him out with the art on this excellent book. And uh, very funny stuff from uh, Neil Gaiman. 50% off, just $8.99. You can get Archie's Pal Jughead, The Archives, Volume 2. Man, there's nothing like a good Jughead story. Ask a guy like Ed Brubaker, who I've always loved that about Ed. You know what Ed wants to do when he retires? He wants to just kick back and write Jughead stories. That just kills me. But uh, excellent, uh, great uh, original Jughead stories, issues 9 through 16 in this collection. Uh, 45% off, $27.45. You can get Fight Club 2 from uh, the creator himself. Uh, and I can't pronounce his name, so I'm going to get it wrong here. Chuck uh, Palahniuk. Let's say that, for example. But uh, the uh, return of uh, Tyler Durden, it's uh, pretty interesting stuff. And... Um, Let's uh, find out what happens in the next chapter. David Mack doing great cover work. Cameron Stewart doing excellent art. A great series from Dark Horse, 45% off, $16.49. I know, I don't know how to say the guy's name. What can I say? Uh, the Earth One books from DC. I really have liked uh, Jeff Johns' take on Batman. I think it's been my favorite of the Earth One books. And Volume 2 is available at a reduced rate, 42% off. $8.69. Jeff Johns and Gary Frank back together again, giving us a different side of Batman. How about uh, Joe Keating's fantastic book, Ringside? Great wrestling stuff. Uh, Joe Keating and Nick Barber. Very cool. The first volume is out, and uh, it's 42% off. It's just $5.79. All that and more from InStockTrades.com. Check out all the great deals today. InStockTrades.com. John Stutcher saying thanks a lot for listening to Word Balloon. We are weeks away from San Diego Comic-Con. And I've got two great panels that I'm going to be doing. I'm going to take a look back at Hollywood's Golden Age and the times that comic books and geek culture had a very interesting impact. And all this is happening pre-1980. This is old Hollywood stuff, man. And I'm really trying hard to be before that Richard Donner 1978 Superman movie and give you some great examples 
of uh, movies that have strong comic book and geek culture influences to them, <clears throat> some of which I'm sure you've never seen. <clears throat> I think it's going to surprise you, and uh, very excited about that. I'll tell you more about that panel in the weeks ahead, and I'm also going to be doing a second panel as well, and I'm going to tease you with that, and as I get closer, we'll talk about uh, that as well. But uh, Comic-Con is happening. I'll be in San Diego. I hope to see you there. If uh, I do see you, let me uh, thank you uh, very much in person for listening to Word Balloon and supporting the show. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. It's like my favorite summer camp trip. I do it every year, and it's I get to see all my out-of-town friends, and we all hang out for about five days and just smile and have a great time. So really looking forward to Comic-Con once again this year. Hope to see you out there. Until next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.